Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. Well, okay, it's going to be a lot more than a few minutes on this one. <laughs> this is going to be... This is going to be a big one. This is going to be a long episode. I have a lot of show notes to get through, a lot of commentary I want to make on those show notes. And so this may be more than one listening session <laughs> for you to get through this photo taco. You might need <clears throat> you might need multiple tacos. Um, in this episode, I'm going to answer some listener questions about storage. And you might be able to tell already I'm struggling with allergies. It's springtime here in Utah in early May 2021, and my allergies are just killing me right now. So <laughs> I'm struggling through it. I've tried about five different times to record this episode and make it as good a quality as I can get it. And uh, I keep coughing and sneezing, and it's a problem. So um, I'll do my best <laughs> to get through it. But I really, really want to get this information out to everybody. And uh, I hope it'll be okay. I hope you'll, you'll understand. And, and we can get through this together. Um, you may have noticed that it's been a while since I released an episode. Uh, it's not because I'm stopping or giving up on the podcasts. Uh, I really love doing it. It's so much fun for me. I like being able to help photographers and uh, and people getting into photography. It, uh, it it really gives me a lot of joy to be able to to do that. I've just had a lot of of shoots that I've been doing. It's it's senior season. It's uh, high school sports, and and I've had a lot of client shoots that I needed to do. Plus, my day job's gotten a little bit more crazy over the last few weeks, and and I've had to spend more time there. So. Uh, between those two things, I just haven't had time to be able to do the show, and I, I wanted to uh, to let everyone know I'm not going away, um, but there may be a, a little bit of uh, more sporadic episodes for a little bit to help, to help things calm down. All right, let's get into the topic now that I've wasted a few minutes <laughs> on other things. I want to talk about hard drive space for photographers and the problems that photographers face. I hear this constantly. It's been a theme through for years. And most recently, I've seen a lot of questions about it in our Facebook group and, and via email. I'm getting a lot of questions about how do I do this? What devices do you recommend to solve these problems? And so I, I really just wanted to put something together. And I, this isn't new as a topic. I've tried to tackle pieces of this topic, but I'm this episode, I'm going to try to put it together in a way that I never have. I'm going to go from beginning to end with hard drive space and how I recommend photographers deal with it. It's not the only way to do it. I want to be clear right up front about that, that I'm giving you an opinionated view of this um, that comes from a lot of real world experience, not only with my own needs, but in helping other photographers along the way. And so I'm going to give you um, how I think most of you listening should solve this problem, the problems of hard drive space. And including in that how to do backup. So I, I'm, I hope it can be a good resource for photographers, um, especially those that may be a little less technical out there or know a little bit less about computers. And um, and see if this will help you. If nothing else, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that like you can take the show notes and you can go to that IT person or the, the person in your life. I'm sure that you've got at least one who knows a lot more about computers and you can hand them that and be able to say, you know, here's a guide of what I want to have done, how I want my, I want to work with my photos and I need some help with this and they, they can help you. And, and, uh, you know, let whatever, since they're helping you, they should be, whatever they want to do should be the most important thing because <laughs> they're helping you. So, you know, let them dictate the solution. It doesn't have to follow exactly what I'm going to outline here, 
but this could give them some some ideas about like, well, okay, I I see what he's saying here. Let's do this and and help you with it. So, but whatever they are going to advise you to do, since they're there to help you and I'm not, go, go with what they're going to say. All right, let's let's start off with defining kind of the problem, what it is that is that photographers face, and and the first. Uh, thing I need to make sure is clear is exactly what we're talking about. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but I hear confusion constantly about photographers not understanding what is drive space in their computer versus memory and RAM. Now, the, the really technical term that everyone in the industry uses for hard drive space, we don't really call them hard drives much because mostly we're dealing with storage that is bigger than that in like IT places, but uh, we call it storage. And I'm going to probably call it storage a lot through the episode because that's just in my head. That's the word I think of when I think about this resource inside our computer that we're putting photo- photos on. And so uh, that they're synonymous. They mean the same thing. Hard drive space, storage space. And it's a little hard to even say hard drive these days because it, it our drives are dramatically changed over the years. But I think we generically will all still call it that too. So those are the same thing. Hard drive, drive storage, whatever I say through the the episode, it's going to slip back and forth. Okay. I don't want you to confuse it with memory. And I I hear it all the time. My memory doesn't, my computer doesn't have enough memory. And to me, when that said, that means RAM, that means the, the electrical pieces in, or the, the components inside your computer that are only able to store things. So they are a form of storage, really, really fast and fairly small amounts of storage but they're only available when your computer is on and when you turn it off, it gets erased. So, um, it, or at least it doesn't, it's not reliable to keep stuff there. So then when someone says, well, I don't have enough memory, that's what I think of. And to make it more confusing because the terms are too close, like memory storage, it feels like the same thing. Um, they are measured in the same units. <laughs> they're, they're measured in bytes, uh, you know, lots of bytes, but um, memory comes in sizes today of like eight gigabytes, 16 gigabytes, 32 gigabytes and higher, um, but not a lot higher. Whereas the storage, and that's not what we're talking about. The storage we are talking about today is comes in units that are similar, but much bigger. So 256 gigabytes is a small drive, but that would be a ginormous amount of memory. Um, I think some computers can do that, but it, it, that is not in any of the computers that we're going to use. So, um, so that's, they're, they're different scales, but the same units. And then you have like in drive space, you're going to have like 512 gig, one terabyte, two terabyte and higher. And, um, and that's the resource that I'm going to focus on through this episode. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, I hope that kind of helps make it a little bit more clear. If you don't understand the difference, don't worry. I'm going to walk you through kind of just the practical things here. And you don't need to get as worried about the technical numbers and acronyms or words that I'm going to use. I think the show notes will really help you too. Okay, so let's let's go through um, another caveat I need to make right up front is I'm going to almost entirely ignore internal drives as we talk about this because it like meaning the drive that comes with your computer, the storage you get when you buy your computer. Every computer has to have some internal storage. It used to be a while ago that you could easily upgrade that storage. Well, easily, if you knew how to buy a drive with the right specifications, 
format it or clone the other drive so that your operating system would be there and uh, and boot up your computer from it, which took a skill set, then at least the access to it, the computer makers would allow you to get in there and do it pretty easily. Uh, it wasn't too hard if you had that skill set. Today, here in 2021, uh, the momentum is heavily the opposite, where that storage, the ability to upgrade that drive is becoming less and less accessible, where the computer manufacturer is designed things for you to get in there and upgrade that drive. And it takes a different skill set. Um, I'm going to completely ignore that as an option uh, because I just don't think most of you listening, it really would be an option. Even if the drive is accessible, it just it's kind of tough to work through. I'm just going to say right at the top of the show here <laughs> that I'm going to ignore it. We're going to pretend that isn't an option. And again, because it, it probably isn't for most of you. Okay. If it is, if you know how to do that, perfect. Go do it. That's fine. It's a good way to solve this problem, but we're going to ignore it in the show. Okay. We end up with then a resource in our computer. Like I said, every computer has to have a drive inside it. It's, it's required, but they can make them be pretty small. And a lot of computers are so that are sold here in 2021 and for the last several years, we've opted for um, much smaller sized drives, but they're faster. And that helps the computer to perform better. Um, we call them SSD drives. And we're going to talk about those a little bit later in specific for your photos. But um, most of the time when you're buying a computer in the last several years, you end up with drive space that's pretty small. And we as photographers tend to run into an issue where it's not enough room pretty quickly. We accelerate our need for storage over the average non-photography user. The only user that would beat us and um, have this problem much faster is video. If you do video, wow, you probably like almost can't do a single shoot, <laughs> a single session of video on the internal drive in the computer, it's gonna need more than that right from the beginning. Um, but for photographers, you, you probably get a little bit of time, especially if you bought a computer well before you bought a camera and you had whatever was in the computer, you, you probably had a little bit of time before you ran into the first storage wall. And I'm gonna talk about what I mean by that in just a second. I have, like I said, I, I have done multiple podcast on topics that are parts of this thing that we're, we're addressing here with hard drive space, but it's it not been all put together, but I'll put some link in the show notes of a few episodes. If you want to try to dive in a bit deeper on a little, a few of these things, I'm going to try to be a slightly more surface level in this episode because I want to tie it together. But if you want more details, I've got uh, four different episodes for you to check out that I'll have links in the show notes. There's photography and storage. There's photographer's guide to raid, which we'll talk a tiny bit about. Ultimate guide to backup. I'm going to talk a lot about backup. I'm going to cover quite a bit of that one again here, but because it's so important and, and part of the considerations for hard drive space. Uh, but if you want more information on it, then, then you should definitely go and listen to that. And then there's one that we had, uh, Hard Drive Storage Talk, back with Jim Harmer a long time ago on the IP, the Improved Photography Podcast that I'll have a link to. Okay, there are two problems that photographers face uh, with regard to storage, with, with hard drive space. Um, the first is a an issue that, like I said, most photographers run into pretty quickly. Even if you shoot JPEGs, uh, which we all start out doing, 
then those files are much larger than like most uh, Word docs or spreadsheets or uh, slideshows or, uh, you know, you're any most of the basic needs or reasons that people buy things today. It's really not um, th- those things usually don't take up a lot of drive space, which is why manufacturers have, are fine in selling computers that have pretty limited drive space in the computer. They're not, um, it, it's very functional for most people that aren't photographers or videographers. And they, they, it can really last, especially because these days we store a lot of that information in the cloud. We use Google Docs or, you know, other resources to store that information and we don't need as much drive space. So, um, so we end up with a limited resource and then photographers really have a lot more need for more storage and we're going to run out of storage and I'm calling it, I'm describing it as a storage wall because to me, I think this is a very jarring event in a photographer's life. (laughs) It happens early in their journey in photography. And most of the time when it happens, you're stuck. You're like, you don't know how to deal with this. And, um, and there's pressures, maybe there's client shoots involved and it's slowing you down and being able to deliver those client shoots. And it's, it can be a real challenge. So I, I, the analogy I think of is, it's like you're you're kind of maybe running <laughs> running down the road and a wall suddenly like jumps up in front of you that you didn't even see. Maybe you're looking down at the road too much and you didn't even see that the wall was there and then you just slam headfirst into that wall. Cuz I think it's that kind of an event <laughs> in a photographer's life when this happens. So I'm going to call these storage walls that photographers run into. I've said that before here on the show. And um, the first one comes quickly. It happens pretty fast uh, as you are a photographer. And then the second one, it it's much further out and it can be delayed. There's some effective things you can do as a photographer to kind of delay it. And maybe make that second wall not so jarring. Like you hit, you slammed into that first one so hard that you learned. <laughs> and, and the second one it's also going to be a wall because of the costs and all. Now, we'll get into what all of that means. But that's that's how I want to try to refer to this. And I'm going to refer to the first wall and the second wall through the show and how can how photographers can deal with it. We end up with massive, massive files as photographers. Like it, you, you start out as JPEGs. We all do. Uh, and that's a, a really wonderful thing. And, and it can even be like long-term a way that that we want to use, we want to store our images is, is in the JPEG file format. There's good reasons for that. Uh, we also tend to switch to shooting raw files, which are significantly bigger. And that chews up that drive space even faster. Uh, and then you might even do something like uh, compositing or panoramas or HDR and and end up with really big, um, PSD or TIFF files, and that that even consumes it even more. So, we are never-ending consumers of drive space. We're going to need lots of it all the time. It's going to continue to expand and grow, and we're going to have to meet those needs. So, let's talk about how we do that. How do we solve this problem? Overcome that first wall? Like you know, it's going to stun us. It's going it's going to be jarring. And how do I get over that wall? How do I get through it? And so, I think for most of you listening, there are really two solutions to this. The first is buying a new computer, which I hear all the time, especially because this might be like the last straw on your computer that you've got. 
it might be the case, and I've seen this a ton with photographers that you know they have a computer in their house. They bought one for other needs before being a photographer, but they didn't buy it uh, because of photography. They didn't buy it with the the things that are needed to make photo editing go well. They bought it, you know, Costco, Walmart, wherever they you got the computer because it looked like a good price. You needed a computer. Maybe you've even done that a few times now. You're like, well, I've had my computer for three or four years. Maybe it's time to get a new one. It's really just been struggling. And, and you don't know enough about it to really upgrade things inside. Or you've got a computer that's not really upgradable. And so you just... You know, you buy whatever's offered at these big box stores and, you know, that's great for more most users. It's great for most purposes. Internet browsing, watching movies, uh, you know, Netflix or whatever your purposes were before photography, you know, it was working. But now it's not. Now it's just like you got into photography, you want to edit your images and boy, things are struggling. It's slow. There's like, it feels like there's nonstop issues. Stuff's not working. And now all of a sudden, like you might get a message on your computer, your hard drive's full. You can't copy any more images from your memory card to your computer because you, there's no space. Um, and, and that's the first like jarring event. Like I ran out of space now. Great. Well, I already hated this computer for photo editing, but now I run out of drive space. That's the first storage wall that photographers hit. And so new computer is one of the things that can help you to address this. And honestly, you might have thought, well, but I recommend you don't do that. There's other ways, and there are other ways to solve this problem. We're going to talk about the second way in just a second. But um, this may be a good solution for photography. It may make sense that photographers turn to this so that you can make your editing experience better. If you go and buy a computer that is built for photography, um, that has the resources in it, the power is that's needed to be able to do photo editing... That might be a really big win-win situation for you. It's going to be costly. It's going to be expensive, but it might be a win-win to make it so that you are more productive and you hate the experience of doing photo editing less. Um, and, And so it may be a decent way to be able to help with this problem. However, there's a big caveat with this. I mentioned already that when you buy a computer, you tend to get drives that are pretty small in capacity on the storage. And that's the case definitely today in 2021. If you go to buy any computer, PC or Mac, it doesn't matter. Most likely, the drive that you're going to get in the computer is pretty small. Now, some computers, you can buy like a second drive in the machine and be able to have a lot more storage. Those are pretty good options to be able to do that. But in general, as I have to make this general for everyone listening... Uh, you, they're, they're probably going to be too small. So what, what size of drive do I recommend you buy? If this is the thing you're going to try to do to solve your problem, which, what size of drive do I recommend you buy in a new computer? And here's my recommendation. 256 gigabytes. It, it kind of depends on wh- how many photos you already have. How much do you already have on the computer that you're replacing? And uh, so on a new computer, 256 gigabytes is a a decent amount of of storage to have your operating system like Windows or Mac OS and your software like Photoshop, Lightroom, whatever you're using to edit your photos, and maybe your Lightroom catalog uh, plus a shoot or two, something like that. 
if you do client shoots, maybe a shoot or two, or if you're even if you're a hobbyist going out for a shoot, uh, a couple of them, you might be able to have about that on the drive. Maybe e- it, that would even be tight. So that's really just not enough storage to solve this problem. Even if you buy a brand new computer, if you get a 256 gig drive in that computer, you might immediately be right back at, I don't have enough storage for my photos. Um, And that might be okay because then you can lean on a solution number two that we're going to walk through. Um, To me, if you're a photographer buying stuff, the sweet spot, just to give you kind of some advice on drive space is 512 gigabytes. It gives you a little bit more breathing room to be able to have more of your photos on the drive. Um, And it's a reasonable cost. The upgrade cost when you're buying a new computer to go from that 256, which is usually the kind of baseline price, to 512 is usually worth it. It's not a a huge cost. And it's usually worth it just to to have the computer come with a, a slightly bigger drive. It still doesn't really solve your problem for photo storage. Uh, for very long, you're still it's still pretty small as far as like storage for your photos, but it's it's a decent thing. If your budget allows for it to go to one terabyte of storage when you buy the computer, I would make it one of the last things that you upgrade or consider spending, adding more more budget to your spend on the computer. But it might be worth it. That might be in because then you can really have several shoots stored on your internal drive in your computer and be able to like, especially if you're going to be using a laptop, a MacBook or a a Windows laptop um, out on the road as you're going to be using it. That might make it might really be an advantage for you that you don't have to track an external drive. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, how are you going to get more storage attached to the computer when you're out on the road? So if that's a use case that happens to you a lot, that might be worth it. What to me is not worth it for nearly anybody um, is going higher than that. So paying for two gigabytes, you start to get into a price range that is really big and no longer really worth it. And especially because even if you have two gigabytes of internal storage, that's not likely to last very long. (laughs) That's not likely to make it so that you can store your photos on your computer for very long. So you pay all of this money to get this of a little bit more storage and it's still not enough and you still have to add external drives which isn't solution number two and then there's there are some that will even offer like four terabytes and in general 512 is the sweet spot one terabyte if you if you do have the budget but i'd make it one of the last things you spend additional money on and then i wouldn't go much above that because you're going to need more storage in this anyway. And and we're going to talk. So let's talk about that. Solution number two to that first storage wall. If you've got a computer that's working well for you on in every other aspect except for the drive space, then this is the option for you. Don't buy a new computer. Then do this. And you're probably going to need to repeat this step of external drives a few times. Because it can kick the can down the road for that second storage wall. You can delay having to make the very massive investment that's going to take, and we'll get into that uh, with an alternative for that second storage wall. So let's let's talk about external drives. And I want to share a lot of detail here so the photographers have the information they need to make this work. External drives are a pretty obvious solution. I think most of you would probably have been thinking of that as I started the show, like, yeah, that's how you solve this problem. That's what I already did. I already bought external drives. 
um, because it's it's not hard to be able to add this. But I do hear from photographers a lot, like, I'm just not sure what to buy. Can you tell me which drive I should buy? And how do I know when I connect it to my computer that it's going to be fast enough? Like, is my computer got the right ports to be able to plug it into? So I want to give you some general advice on how what to look for. This advice, of course, can get dated and changed. The technology never sits still. Um, but I'm going to try to give you some general advice, things to look for, along with some specifics. So let's let's talk about that. It used to be a while ago, um, connecting an external drive to a computer was a very slow option. Really, really slow. We had USB ports that were uh, really, really slow. And so compared to the speeds that you got with drives that were connected inside your computer, it was a bad option. It's not really the case anymore. I, I can I can be I'm pretty safe in saying that most of you listening right now, it, as you have a computer, even if it's kind of failing in other aspects, you're not you don't like how it performs. It's probably not because you have USB ports that are too slow. They probably are fine. And so here's the three things you can look for in your USB port to make sure it's fast enough and not the problem why your photo editing might be slow. There there could be other problems with your computer that make it slow, but it's, if as long as your ports have these one of these three things, and it's only one, it doesn't have to have all three, then uh, you can be pretty assured that the external drive is not the reason that you're having a terribly slow editing experience. So here's the three things. Number one, you look for some blue on the inside of the port. This should be pretty obvious when you just look at the port uh, you don't. It's not like you have to get a flashlight out and look deep inside the port. It, sh- it should be totally obvious that there's some blue on it. Blue is just kind of become an indicator on computers that that is a USB 3.0 or better port, and that should be plenty. That should be fast enough that it's not going any any external drive. Well, the right external drive. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, we'll we'll make everything fast enough that it's not a problem. The second thing, if there's no blue that you see on the port. The second thing to look for is to look and see if there's the capital letters SS stands for super speed. And if that's near the port should be written like on the computer case or on the right next to the port, it should be like embossed right there. And if it's there, then you'll know that port is a USB 3.0 or higher port. And it's also going to be fast enough. The third thing, and if you buy any computer in the last year or two, I don't know, it's been a, a few years now. Um, anything that is USB-C, which is a technical name for something, but you may have heard of it enough that it's okay. But these are the ports that are really thin. Um, and they, the way you can kind of tell these days is uh, that it's a USB-C port is it has the advantage. You don't, there's not a right side up or upside down to the port. And I'm sure, you know what I'm talking about with the older USB ports where you have to have the the cord that you're going to plug into the port has to be the right direction. There, there isn't a right side up and an upside down. And with USB-C, there isn't any. It's it's reversible. It's a beautiful part of the spec. We've done other things. Uh, we named it horribly with USB-C, and it's a gigantic mess that I'm going to try to avoid talking about in this episode. But um, anything that's USB-C should be fast enough. There shouldn't be, you shouldn't have any struggles there. And I, I can hear a lot of you thinking, but like, uh, I know that Thunderbolt is way faster than USB. And I know that um, there's USB 3.1 or 3.2 and uh, those can be faster. And if you buy SSD drives, then you you can really make this a lot faster. Absolutely true. All of that's right. 
what I'm going to tell what I'm telling you is there is not a significant difference for photographers editing photos where that kind of drive speed difference makes an impact. Meaning it's it's like overkill. Having a really super fast SSD drive for your external drive connected through a Thunderbolt 4 port that has high, high speed is not dramatically different from a USB 3.0 drive connected into a USB 3.0 port. Even though the ports and drives are technically much faster, Lightroom Classic doesn't really care. It doesn't, doesn't really use it. And I've done performance testing of this. There's another show you can go and check out called Performance of External Hard Drives with Lightroom Classic where I tested this very thing. I tested where where a catalog is. I tested where your photos are, whether they're both on fast disk, whether they're on USB 3.0 hard drives. There was virtually no difference between the two. Lightroom just simply didn't take full advantage of that drives, the extra performance of the drives. So that's why I'm very confident in saying you, you really don't have to worry about spending gobs of money on this. You can, because those ports, as long as it's one of those three things, those ports are all fast enough for this to not be a problem with slowing down your computer. So I hope that makes sense. And you should have a lot of confidence in that. Don't worry that you're going to slow everything down because you buy a USB 3.0 hard drive. Okay. How do you choose drive? That's the next part of this. We've now talked about the port, but how do I choose which drive to buy? And there's so many technical things that are listed when you go look at hard drives. How do you know which one is right? I I empathize with photographers on this because it's really challenging to get all the information about the drive. It's challenging to figure out what size you you should have. It's a tough thing. So I'm going to try to provide some general guidance, just like I did on the ports, and see if it it can help. Here, I I have four things that you should look for. Actually, before I say that, I'm going to split my recommendations or my advice up into two categories here. And the first one is, I'm going to call it the budget category, but it's I don't want it to have the negative connotation that budget means cheap or less effective. Um, it's just that they these are this is a more inexpensive way to solve the problem, but it still go matches what I just said about it won't be a problem for performance. So it's just that this is a less expensive solution. I think it's the right solution for most of you listening. Most of you should invest in this category and not the more expensive solution I'm going to go through in just a second. Okay, so I, I hope that makes sense. I hope I hope you'll go here because this, this is the solution I'm using. I'm not using, I've got some others of the more expensive kind for testing purposes to see what matters there. But I've done enough testing with this that I think most of you should be in the budget category. Okay, let, so how do you choose a budget drive? Let's go through, there's four things to look for. I think there's four things as you're searching for your drive, wherever it is, Amazon, Adorama, B&H, Walmart, <laughs> wherever you're looking for the drive, these are the four things that you should make sure is somewhere in the specifications on what you're buying. Uh, number one, especially if you're online, make sure it's new and not used or refurbished. There are other places where used, refurbished things are fine. This is not one of them. Don't buy a used or refurbished drive. That's It's not worth it, especially because the price difference is not huge. So don't, don't just don't go down the path. Buy new. Number two, USB 3.0. It uh, could say 3.1. It could say 3.2. It could say Thunderbolt. 
any of those are fine. What you don't want is USB 2.0. So make sure it says at least USB 3.0 or you know better, like 3.1, 3.2 Thunderbolt. Number three, look to see if it says that the drive is 7,200 RPM. And this one's a little bit iffy because it's really close to 5,400 RPM is like the, the notch down. Sometimes I've seen them listed at 5,900 RPM too, but 5,400 is usually where it is, either 5,400 or 7,200 usually. And 5,400 can work. It's not like it's going to be a massive problem. It might slightly impact performance um, because the USB 3.0 connection that you're using is capable of more speeds than a 5,400 RPM drive can provide. Uh, be a little like, just to make another analogy that maybe you can help you understand, it'd be like um, having a Ferrari and putting like a, I don't know, a smaller engine, a non-Ferrari engine into that car. The the car itself is like more capable and built for speed, but you have an engine that's just not fast enough. So um, 7,200 RPM, if you can find it, if it's not listed, if it, if no RPM thing is there in the technical description, it probably means it's 5,400 RPM and you'd be better off finding a drive that specifically says it is 7,200 RPM. I'm seeing it increasingly happen though on external drives where they just don't list this. So it might be really hard to find that. So then you just have to rely on, they say that the, the drive is a USB 3.0 connection and you'll hope, hope that it's 7,200 RPM inside. Uh, and then the last one, to me, it doesn't make sense at all to invest in an external drive if it's not at least two terabytes in size. So if gigabytes are listed, if it says GB on there, not big enough, you need one that says TB, terabytes, and it should be at least two. Uh, a lot of you would probably benefit from it starting right off at four, four terabytes, but two is the bare minimum on capacity that I would look for in this category of hard drive. Okay, so so hopefully that helps those four requirements. The brands is the next question. I always get like, well, okay, but which brand is the good brand? Which brand is a good one? And it may be influenced by like your friends or coworker, family member, whatever. Someone may be like, oh, I bought brand X and that thing died in three months and I will never buy brand X again. That was painful. I understand <laughs> I understand the hesitancy of that and how painful that is. It it really stinks to have to deal with a drive that's failed, especially if you didn't back it up, which I'm going to walk you through kind of what I recommend there. But it, the problem is they're all going to fail. Every one of these drives is going to fail. It doesn't matter how much you spent on the drive, whether it's those budget category, the more expensive category, all of them will fail. You need to get that in your head. Like these drives are a ticking time bomb to failure. They are going to die. They will not last forever. They won't even last like, uh, you know, a 10-year lifetime. You can't expect that. That won't happen. You might be able to get five or maybe stretch it to seven, perhaps, kind of. But three years is really the life expectation on most of the, on all of these types of drives. There's, there's a reason warranties are not past three years. It might be even less. So they are going to dry, die. Every single one of them are. You've got to think of it that way as you're buying these. And... Anecdotal experience, you know, the, the experience from your friend or neighbor, even if they bought 10, 20, 50 drives over the years, it's just not enough statistical information to be able to make a decision or cast dispersion on a brand. It doesn't mean they, that that brand is bad. So what brand do I recommend? Well, 
I'm leaning on the only massive storage information I know of that's publicly available. Um, Massive cloud backup provider Backblaze provides a report. And I'm going to talk more about Backblaze just as a backup provider in a minute uh, at the end of the show. But they publish a quarterly report about all of the drives that they've purchased. These are the drives they're using as part of their cloud backup solution. And they have, of course, massive, massive needs for hard drives. So they're buying thousands of them every quarter. Thousands. And so they bought tens to hundreds of thousands of drives over several years. And they've been tracking, uh, you know, they needed it internally to try to make good decisions and about what drives they're buying. But they've been tracking failure rates. How frequently do these drives fail? Do they drive, do they fail prematurely? They have a policy about how they've, and they've used this information to arrive at that policy about how often they replace the drives. And it's, it's more statistically relevant information than any individual is going to have your friend, your neighbor, your family member doesn't, they don't have the level of experience with enough drives for that information to be relevant where Backblaze does. And I wish we had more providers that would kind of publish some of the same information so we had more data to be able to go on. In general, the data that came out of Backblaze says the, the brand doesn't matter. As long as it's one of the major brands and you don't go buy some you know off-brand that who knows what that drives come from, <laughs> who actually made it because they did, certainly didn't make the drive. As long as you go with a major brand, it doesn't matter which one it is, regardless of what your friend may have said about brand X and they, they had a hard drive fail. It doesn't, it, it just doesn't matter. There have been some patterns at times where a specific model had issues, uh, most likely like a problem in the manufacturing process itself that made it so that drives or, or like a, a material that went into manufacturing that specific drive had a higher failure rate than normal. And when we say a higher failure rate, it's like a 1% or 2%. It's it's not like they had a 90% failure rate where the drives were failing before their day, before their three years. Uh, it's a very small number. So it's totally possible that you can buy a drive and have it fail quickly. Absolutely. That's going to happen with every one of these brands. That's how hard, hard drives work. You just can't guarantee them for very long. That's why there's warranties to cover that. But that's the way it is with anything. When you buy a car, when you anything you purchase, there's a chance that something was not done right in the manufacturing process. You got a bad part. You, you, lemons happen in everything. And hard drives are no different, especially if you don't treat them well, um, <laughs> which could be a reason to buy the more expensive drive. We'll, we'll get to. So what brand then do I recommend? Um, Let me give you my top brands. These are the brands I'd consider to be major brands. And if you don't see one of these brands, then I'd recommend you you don't do it. Um, There's a big list here, and they'll be in the show notes. They're in alphabetical order, so they're not in any sort of preference because I don't have a preference. They all seem equivalent as far as quality and durability goes as, as a brand. So, I'm hoping that this is making it clear that the brand doesn't matter. So here's the list of top brands. Crucial, G Technology, Samsung, SanDisk, Seagate, Toshiba, Transcend, and Western Digital or WD. So um, you'll notice, I mean, if you listen to the show for a while, I used to rave about a a brand named HGST 
It's not in the list anymore. <laughs> and um, I raved about it because that Backblaze data showed that of all of the manufacturers, HGST tend to have the most consistent lowest failure rate, which was appealing to me. The likelihood then that I could buy an HGST drive and have it be a problem was the lowest of all of the other brands that were there. And it was very consistent. Uh, they kind of had some magic in their manufacturing process or or uh, component sourcing that made it so that their drives t- tended to fail less often than the others. Not by a lot, but it was enough that when I'm choosing, I may as well buy that drive. Well, Western Digital bought HGST. So it's no longer an, in a distinct brand. It's all brought into the Western Digital family, and it no longer has any meaning in that, that way. So I can't, it's not on the list. You might be able to find some that are labeled HGST, but it's no longer an indicator of a slightly better quality in a, in a brand. Uh, okay, so there you go. There's the brands that you can do. Now, another decision you have to make as a photographer, you're going to have to find a brand. You're going to have to find a drive that has the four requirements. Another thing you have to decide is, I'm, am I going to go portable or am I going to go desktop with the drive? There is a difference between these. Uh, portable, they tend to be smaller. They tend to be less noisy. They, te- they don't need an, a, an external power connection. You only plug in the USB drive to the USB port and it's powered up and it's ready to go. And they tend to be built or designed to be portable, which means taking like bumps and bruises, you know, smaller drop, small drops, uh, stuff like that. They, they, they were designed in cases and in components to be able to handle a little bit more of that than the desktop drives. Those are all pros. Those are good things. And you might think, well, I want all of those things. Okay. That might be good. You just have to be aware the the penalty, the cons, the cost, cost has double meaning here. They're more expensive and you can't get them in capacities, storage capacities that are as big. There's not as much room for storing your photos on those types of drives. So it might make a ton of sense starting up. It might make a ton of sense even uh, long-term for uh, just for photographers who are out on the road a lot, then you can use one of these while you're on the road and then you come home and maybe you'll use bigger desktop drives. So you're going to have to decide. Now, desktop is kind of the opposite of all those things. They're bigger, they're noisier, they require an external power connection, uh, but they're much bigger in storage size. You can fit way more photos on them and they are less expensive. So you're going to have to decide between the two. I it's really hard to go search, especially on Amazon. It is painful to search for hard drives. You tend to get a lot of other stuff that is in the hard drive category in Amazon. I tried to create searches that would meet all of the criteria I just went through to help photographers search for drives, and it was really hard. So instead, I'm going to provide for you some Adorama links. Um, they... I like Adorama as a vendor and I have affiliate links. I want to make it clear. There are affiliate links in the post. If you use my link, I get a little bit of money. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but I I get a little bit. And um, I have searches for portable drives and desktop drives. So two different search links. The beautiful thing about the Adorama links is they're very targeted. Like you don't end up with a lot of stuff that are not hard drives in your search results. So what I recommend is if you want to just check the the information I'm going to give you is very, can get dated very quickly. Drive manufacturers have sales all the time through their, their various, uh, you know, resellers. 
And you might be able to find that a drive I'm not going to specifically mention, but is a major brand is on sale and you can get it way cheaper. So, and that's, that's what I would do because the brand doesn't matter. So I would sort the list lowest price, low to high and find the first drive that meets your criteria. If you're looking for a portable one, that's say, you know, four terabytes, then you, there you go. You'd be able to find the cheapest one and that's the one you should buy. For those of you who just want a specific recommendation, like I don't even want to search, just which one should I buy? I'm going to still have to give you four options <laughs> that you'll have to choose from. Maybe check the four links and see which one's the cheapest as you're going to buy. Just remember these links will be dated quickly and, and it may be the case that like you'll click on it, you know, some future date and it, it doesn't even work. Uh, again, affiliate links, Adorama. Um, here's the four. For two portable drives, I would choose right now if I was buying, I would choose between the Seagate expansion drive USB 3.0 portable uh, in two terabytes or four terabytes, depending on your needs. Uh, Western Digital WD, my passport USB 3.2. Don't worry, the 3.0 versus 3.2 here, again, for photographers, doesn't really matter that much. But in this case, I don't think Western Digital should actually claim a 3.2 very well. So <laughs> they're they're really kind of the same thing. Uh, again, in two terabytes and four terabytes. So go see which is the cheapest on the day when you're doing it. If the link works, uh, then go, go see which one of those two is the cheapest. If portable is what you need. Um, for desktop, and you'll notice the sizes are way bigger, Seagate Expansion Desktop USB 3.0, and that comes from 4 terabytes all the way up to 16 terabytes. That's a massive amount of storage space. That can kick the can down the road a long ways from overcoming that first storage wall to running into the second storage wall, which I haven't talked about, but we'll get there. Uh, and then the other option is Western Digital MyBook Desktop USB 3.0, which has four terabytes to 10 terabytes. Any of those four I'm comfortable are going to be good choices. Could you still end up with a drive that fails fast? Yes, for sure you can. Absolutely. It's possible with any drive you buy. I don't care what the brand is or how much you paid for it. Any drive can like go belly up within a very short amount of time after buying it. And it could also last five years. <laughs> you can't tell by looking at the drive. There's no brand that's going to tell you that. It's just the way this works. And what it means is you have to plan for it. You have to work around it by not having there only be one drive. We're going to talk about that. But first, we got to talk about the expensive brand. <laughs> the faster external drive. The more expensive option. You, if you're ready to spend a little bit more on this, like you, you don't believe me. I, I could understand you're not believing me. If you don't believe me that this isn't going to make a massive difference on how fast your computer is, or if you're going to do any video, then you probably need to invest in one of these faster drives. And, uh, and so let's talk about, I want to give you four things to look for here as well on what to look for in a faster drive. Just know these are going to be a lot more expensive and they're going to be much smaller because um, that's that's the trade-off for the speed. Number one, it needs to be SSD. It needs to say it somewhere in the drive. If, if you're looking at a more expensive, smaller-sized drive and it doesn't say it's SSD, then don't buy it. it. It needs to say that it has SSD. Number two, it should be portable. And it, this probably goes without saying, I doubt you're going to look at anything along these lines that are not... 
uh, portable style drives. They, so they should be small. They're going to have be power. All the things I talked about with the portable drives just a moment ago. Number three, the speed should again say at least USB 3.0. When I say at least, that means it could say 3.1. It could say 3.2. It could say Thunderbolt. Any of those are going to be good. Now, there are two classes of SSD drives that are commonly seen. I went as, as I was searching, preparing for this episode just to make sure I understood, uh, you know, how things are being marketed and advertised these days, current. Um, they tend to have a, a, a slightly slower tier of drives where they're listing the megabytes per second transfer rate. Um, don't worry if you don't know what that means, but if you're buying them, the 480 to 500 ish, you know, around 500 megabytes uh, rate storage uh, performance is totally fine for photographers. In fact, it's probably pretty good uh, for videographers too. If you're going to do video, that's a really good speed to be able to have. And you're probably you're going to be you're probably fine for video. You're definitely fine for a photo. You do not need to spend more money on a drive that has a higher data rate than that for your photography storage. Like it's already iffy that you need to have this faster drive anyway, and paying even more to get a, an even faster drive rate is not worth it if you do just photo editing. Uh, the other rate, by the way, is, tends to be around a thousand, like double. They're they're twice as fast, but the speed's going to be lost on you. It's not going to matter for your edit video or for photo editing. Easy for me to say. Okay, so that's the third requirement. It still does need to say USB 3.0. Number four is one terabyte or two terabyte in size. There's bigger ones available. They're just not worth it for the cost. They tend to be so much more expensive. That's just not worth it. So if this is a drive that you want to have with you while you're out on the road, so you have really fast, really small storage, it might make sense, but I'd stick to one or two terabytes there and consider it like temporary storage for the most part, where when you get home, you're going to be moving it from that drive to something that's less expensive and much bigger for your, for your storage. But you know, you're going to have to decide your own workflow of how you're going to use this. Finding a drive, this this is a little bit more challenging. I decided not to use Adorama links here because Adorama just doesn't seem to offer a lot of brands in these faster external drives. So I've uh, gone back to an Amazon link here. I have a link that'll do a search, but again, you're going to, and you can search, you can sort by lowest to highest price, but <laughs> you'll get a lot of junk first. You'll get a lot of things that are not hard drives. I sure wish Amazon would improve this and make it so you can actually search for the thing you're wanting. But uh, yeah, I tried everything I could find to make it so that I could get a search that met the criteria that I just outlined, but uh, not include all of the non hard drive things. I couldn't figure out a way to do it. So you'll have to kind of work through that. Go till you see an actual drive that's listed. Um, but you can go shop, shop that way and see like what is the drive, the, the storage amount between one and two terabytes I'm looking for in a major brand that is the cheapest. That's how I would pick. If you want a specific recommendation, and I know some of you do here in early May 2021, here are the three choices that I would go with if I was looking today. And this is somewhat based on price, but I also do happen to have a personal preference on this one. Um, it's probably unfounded. I just have had a really good experience with them. So it's only my data point. And it doesn't shouldn't you shouldn't take it as a heavy heavy influence, but um, the three options I would choose today: 
Crucial X6 Portable US, uh, SSD USB 3.2, uh, one terabyte or two terabyte. Good, good drive. There is a newer version that you don't need because it's that 1,000 megabyte per second higher tier drive that's not going to matter. Same with the next one, Samsung T5 Portable USB 3.1, um, one terabyte or two terabyte. I have links in the show notes for it. Fantastic drive. They offer a bit a faster one. You don't need the faster one. And then SanDisk Extreme Portable USB-C, USB 3.1, one terabyte or two terabytes. That's the one that's my personal favorite. I have a couple of those. I really love them. They're, they're great. Um, but the others are, are really good too. So again, don't have that sway you that much. Whichever one's the least expensive out of those drives is what I would go with. And uh, there is also a faster one of the SanDisk screen that you don't need. So when you're shopping, like Amazon might say, there's a newer version of this drive available and link you to the more expensive version. You don't need a more expensive version. So um, those are the ones I'd recommend. These are external drives. They are even faster, um, but there just isn't that much difference. Like I, I already talked about a lot here. So we'll let, let's go now to another question I often get about drives to use with your photo editing. Um, we've already kind of talked about internal drives that they just don't come. A lot of computers don't allow you to do that. And we're going to ignore that throughout the show. So let's talk about thumb drives, though. I get this question fairly frequently too. And I've even heard some people talk about uh, how this plays a, uh, a role in their backup, which we'll, we'll get to next is, is backup. But I just don't think, I don't recommend that you use thumb drives, USB sticks. There's, there's some various names people call these things, but these are those little skinny, thin, they usually come in that kind of a format drives that, you know, are barely bigger than the USB port in width and then you and you plug it in there and it kind of sticks out a little bit um some of them may even be just a tiny little nub out of the usb port i kind of i've gone through those and I, it was kind of fun but they fail fast they that the point is they're not something you should rely on for this those are they're very cheap they're very inexpensive and i could see being being appealing to photographers then because they're small and they're inexpensive there's a reason they're so inexpensive and that's that the storage is not built to handle the kind of load, the kind of how you're going to use them editing your photos, and they're going to fail really, really fast. Uh, faster, like, and we're not just talking about like the lemon kind of problem. They are going to fail super fast, uh, and you're going to lose everything on that drive really fast if you use it for photo editing. They're not built for it, so don't use them. They're great for, you know, sharing images uh, with someone else. Your family, your friends, whatever. If you need to copy a bunch of photos to somewhere, um, you might use cloud storage mostly these days and upload it to some service and then share a link with family. But another really good option is to put those images on one of these USB drives. They're cheap and they're great for that. They're not great for constant use and reading and writing consistently like you do with your photo editing. So I would avoid that. I have personal experience trying this and, um, I mean, I, I worked, a, I, I knew there was a potential for it, but I tried it out and man, did it, it was like maybe a month and I burned out a USB drive. So I just don't recommend it. Let's go on now to backup. How do we deal with backups? Cause I've, I hope I have done a good job of impressing on you. Like these drives are a ticking time bomb. They are going to fail. It's a question of how long is it going to be before they fail? And that's, that's the mindset you need to have with these, which means we need to back up. 
we've got to have our images so that we don't lose them when the drive fails. Because it's not an if, it's a when. And uh, this is the part where I think what we I've gone through so far makes a lot of sense to most of you listening. I hope so. And that you probably already have some of this done. You already have some of these drives. But what you probably don't have is a really good backup system. And you are running the risk that you're going to lose every one of your images when that drive fails. Uh, but you don't know what to do about it. You don't know how to handle it. So let me give you some guidance here. Again, I'm going to have in the show notes a link to, I talked in a lot more depth to, in the ultimate guide to backup for photographers. It's a little dated at this point. Uh, I did it a few years ago, but it's still just as applicable today. The world hasn't changed so much. The world of storage and hard drives hasn't changed so much that that advice really needs to change a lot. I'm going to repeat a fair amount of it here because it's that important. It is that you have to have this. You have to do this. No matter which drives you choose, you have to do this. And it's a three, two, one backup. I have it in the show notes. As it's essential. And it is. It is completely essential. Here's what that means. I'm going to repeat it again here, even though I did it in that episode, because it's that important. Your image does not exist. This is the mindset you need to have thinking about your images and where they're stored. It doesn't even exist until it is stored in three places. You have to have three separate copies of your image. Two of those copies need to be on two different local drives, two drives that are connected to your computer uh, or in your house, in your home office, in your office, wherever you are doing your photo editing two of those drives, two of the copies need to be on two different drives locally connected to your computer. And the third one, the, the one portion of this, the third copy needs to be off-site. And for most of you listening, the best option for that today is cloud, I think. Let's break it down a little bit more in terms of the expanded storage that I just went through, the external drives we just talked about. Let's say that you've just come back from a shoot with your images on a memory card, right? You're Maybe you're lucky enough that you have a camera that can write your images to two cards. Uh, you know, really important shoots. You can see why that's a big deal because those cards can fail. They're, they're also ticking time bombs, a very similar thing. In fact, their life expectancy is going to be a lot less than these drives we're talking, these hard drives we're talking about. So um, really important shoots. You can see why photographers would really want to make sure they have the option to write to two cards at once. Uh, so that if one fails, you have the other. Let's just assume you don't have that, right? Let's, or let's, let's assume you only have the one card. Well, <clears throat> at that point, you only have a 1-1 one, one backup. <laughs> one copy on one device, a 1-1 one, one backup. That's not a good place to be. The likelihood that you can lose that card, you can, to whatever reason, uh, you know, actually losing it or failing or th there's too many things that can happen. So you really need to remedy that as soon as you can, which is like right as soon as you come home from a shoot, you need to get that off of, you need to, to get to the three, two, one backup as fast as you can. So what do you, when you come home, you, uh, you offload the memory card, you copy the image from the drive, from the memory card to your computer. All right. So at that point, you now have a two, two backup, right? You, the, the image exists is there's two copies of it. 
one on the memory card and one on the hard drive in your computer, and they're on two different devices. So we're in a much better spot already. We have two copies, two devices. You have a, a, a lot more assurance now. You've taken a lot of the risk of your photos out, which is good. But we're not to 321 by any stretch. Okay, so now let's say that you do have an external drive attached to your computer too, a single external drive. So you copy the image from your internal computer drive to your external drive. Well, now you do have a 3-2. Well, I'd say it's a 3-3. You have a 3-3 backup now, right? It exists in three places, but all three of them are local to your house. There's nothing off-site yet. Okay, so maybe now we can back up to the cloud from the external drive. We have something running on the computer that's going to, or I just manually copy it up to the cloud. Okay, now you've met at least a 321. It's it's more because it exists in four places with that memory card, right? I hope I just I'm going through this just to try to make you understand what the 321 actually means and and how to think through it. But that I wouldn't recommend that process to you. And so let let's talk then about what the actual process should be. And let's start with what I've heard a lot of photographers do is their memory card is part of their 321 backup. They can they they will shoot until that card gets filled up or close to and then they will never uh format the card, never delete the images because that is part of their 321 backup. That's one of the devices that it's located on. And as we just went through, that's totally technically true that it's a part of a 321 backup. Absolutely, it is another copy, it's on a different device than others. And that could be part of it. Um, I'm really impressed with how resilient memory cards are these days. They're surprisingly strong. They're not strong enough for me to trust them with my backup. <laughs> they're not strong enough for me to, to have that be part of it. They're, they're so little, especially SD cards. They're so small, physically losing them. So you just don't know where they are is hard. They're tough to organize. It's hard to know what images are on what SD card. Um, and they are bendable, like they crack in half, they, they crack open, uh, the leads can wear off. They're, they just, they're not so resilient, uh, so durable that I would want to consider using them as part of my three, two, one backup. Now, if you're, if that's your plan, if that's what you're doing, it's working well for you and, um, you're not going to do it any other way, then do it. Absolutely. The most important thing is do a three, two, one backup. Whatever that is, whatever that means for you as a 321, make sure you do that. I just personally am going to recommend against having your memory card be part of that 321 backup. So that means you need to implement a 321 without a memory card. What is the way I recommend you do that? Okay, I'm going to recommend most photographers in that after they've hit that first storage wall, and maybe even before if you haven't hit it yet, it's still worth it to go this route. Two external drives. When you're going to buy those drives, we just talked about, if you're decided, okay, it's time I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to buy a drive that meets Jeff's criteria here. Uh, just buy two of them instead of buying one. Buy two, and there's a, a specific mindset you need to have with regard to the, well, I mean, there's two mindsets. One is both of these are ticking time bombs. They're both going to fail, and you need to be prepared for it. The second is, when after you get the drives, you need to name those drives 
something along the lines of drive. Well, I'm going to call them drive one and drive two, but you might want to call it like uh, originals and backup or uh, primary and secondary, something like that. Give them names so that you can tell the difference between the two. If you leave them named what they came named as, they're going to look like the same thing to your computer and you're going to have a hard time distinguishing between the two. So uh, I'm going to refer to them as drive one and drive two through the rest of the show, but you should probably name it that. I just needed a very generic term to refer to these drives and how you should be thinking about them. Drive one should be the place where you are going to actually interact with the drive. You are going to copy files there. If you need to find a specific image, you're going to go to drive one, whatever you name it, (laughs) uh, for that action in Finder, in uh, Windows Explorer, whatever needs you have. If you need to copy them to somewhere else, you're going to use drive one. That's the drive that you use. And drive two, you're going to need to like think it's not even there. To you, as a person using your computer, Drive2 doesn't exist. It's not something you're ever going to open up, uh, like in Finder or Explorer. You're never going to directly copy anything to it. You're never going to do anything with Drive2. It is there only to copy images, uh, to, to have images copied, or every file that gets put on Drive1 gets copied over to Drive2. And uh, we're going to talk more about how to do that. But that's the mindset I want you to have going into this. I have two drives, but one of them isn't really my drive. I'm not doing anything with it. Drive two. I hope that makes sense. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Um, I also think that with both of these, you would benefit from not thinking of multiple uses for these drives. I know it's challenging with like the costs and even organization, having them plugged in and I just wouldn't, I'd advise if you can avoid it to not try to like put your documents there. If you can making it exclusive to photos Now it might not be reasonable. You might need to put your, you know, your documents, your spreadsheets, your slideshows, whatever, because you need those backed up too. And so I, I can understand that what you should never do is also use this drive for something like a, a time machine backup of your computer. Um, there, there's reasons I'm going, I I don't want to get into it. What's there, but you shouldn't, you definitely don't want to try to, to make this drive also be used for that, like dual purpose and, um, try to make it as singular a purpose as you can. Uh, If you have to, and maybe most of you listening will then maybe put your documents and things there too, because that the drive inside your computer is going to be small enough. That might be a challenge. Uh, but really this should Drive one should be for your photos and maybe and your Lightroom catalog, and um, and you're going to interact with it. And drive two just as a place where all that stuff gets copied. All right, now let's. T- okay, how do we make that happen? How do we get the images or all the files that are put on drive one copied over to drive two? You could do it manually, of course. You could manually go and like every time I save a file, I'm going to also go copy it over to drive two. Um, I know I would never, that wouldn't work well for me. (laughs) That would take a discipline. I don't have on time. I don't have, I don't want to have to think about like, uh, my backup every time I'm saving a file somewhere. And so I, I really highly recommend that you invest in some local 
file cloning software. That's that's what I'm going to talk about is local file cloning, cloning software. And I'll, I'll help you understand exactly what I mean with that. Then, and that'll help us, right, with drive one, copying everything from drive one over to drive two. But what about the offsite, the cloud backup? Um, I think in that case, you should use cloud backup software. And I'm going to give you some specific things to look for in both of these pieces of software that you need. But I think they're different pieces of software. And um, and I'm going to give you some specific recommendations on both of them. Okay, let's start first then with using Time Machine or Windows Backup or even any of those free utilities that come with your hard drive. Almost always when you buy an external drive, on the drive is some software that you can use to help you set up a backup of your computer. And I'm going to recommend against using any of those kinds of tools for making this backup from drive one to drive two. It can totally work. Absolutely possible that you can use that software. You install it on your computer. It will watch everything that's happening on drive one, and it will make a backup of that to drive two. The problem I have with that is the way that it does this. You don't end up with just a copy of the image on drive two. What you end up with is a backup file on drive two uh, where all of your files that you set up to be backed up go inside that backup file. And some it can get into multiples of them, but you could think of it almost like a massive zip file where all of your stuff that you set up to get backed up goes inside a massive zip file on that drive wherever you set the destination. In this case, we're saying drive two. And you, if drive one fails, you can't just point Lightroom to drive two and have it see your catalog and images. Instead, what you'd have to do is replace drive one by a new drive, get it connected up to the computer, and then do a restore from drive two to drive one. And you have to hope that that backup file, that big zip like thing is not corrupted. If it's corrupted, everything you put inside that backup is gone. All of it. You don't just lose like a photo here or there. If there are like problems with drive two, where it's maybe starting to fail, you lose everything. And most of the time, you don't even know that you've lost everything. You don't even know that the backup is corrupted until you need it. I've heard this story over and over and over. And so to me, that's not how I want it to work with my photos. Um, I, it might be okay for a computer backup because the worst thing that happens if your computer backup fails, as long as you've taken care of your documents and stuff other ways, the worst thing that happens is you have to reinstall your software again, right? It, that's really kind of the worst case scenario. So in an effort to avoid having to do that, yeah, it might be nice if the backup is is good, there's no corruption in the backup, then you can restore from that. And that's, that's a great thing. There's some other advantages too. Um, there can be, there's like compression and versioning and there's some big reasons to be able to do this for sure. I just don't think it's the best way to make this happen between those two local drives, the two drives connected to your computer to get the images that you copy to drive one, copied over to drive two. I think there's a better way. Um, but if if that's the way you want to do it, again, 
Three, two, one backups, the most important thing here. Whatever is going to work for you, what works in your workflow, what software you may already have, that's what you should do. And if Time Machine or Windows Backup or any of these other backup utilities is the way that you want to do it, awesome. Make sure you get it implemented. Make sure you make that happen. Another downside to the backup software, by the way, uh, with the free stuff, the problem is there's not a lot of investment that the the drive maker has in that software. They don't maintain it very well. There's You don't get like tons of updates all the time. This is like a very side thing. They're providing this utility for free because people need it. And it's become a, an industry expectation. When you buy a drive, you're going to have some software on it that has backup capabilities. But um, it, it's... It's not their primary business. They're in the business of making drives. They're not in the business of making backup software. And it's not as it's not as good. It there's a problem. It can be a, a really big problem. Um and then, but even if you so I would not that would be my my very last choice <laughs> for this. I would avoid that like crazy. I wouldn't use the software that came with your drive. If you want to do backup software, do Time Machine or Windows Backup because that you have way more chances. It's mar- much more likely that everything is going to work there and you're not going to have corrupted things with those uh, with Time Machine or Windows Backup. Um, there still have been problems, though. There's a history of these things being a problem, especially as you upgrade versions of your operating system. When you go from uh, you know Mojave to Catalina, there was a big, there was a, a lot of issues with the backup and Time Machine um, that where people had lots and lots of problems as they went through that because Apple was making some changes for the better. In the long run, it's going to be a good thing, but they struggled for a little bit there. And if you, I ha- I know multiple photographers who lost a lot of time. They had other backups available, which got them back up and going. And I don't think they backed up their photos this way, but they lost a lot of time because they had to deal with uh, drive failures and um, corrupted time machine backups that failed them. And it was a, a real challenge. So I just think it's more danger in that than the solution I'm going to recommend. So what solution am I going to recommend? Let's <laughs> Let's go through that right now. So I'm calling this local file cloning software. I've, I've gone through this over and over. Like, how do I say this in a way that makes sense? And it's difficult. There's terms that mean things to different people and it, it's hard to phrase it, but that's the term I landed on. Let me explain it though, so that we're not relying on just terms to convey what it is I'm talking about here. I need this to be automated. I know I do. I I don't know about you, but manual copying the stuff, I already talked about it a little bit. It's not going to work for me, and I don't think it works for most of you listening. So there are five things that I think you should look for in software that's going to help you. I'm, I'm calling it cloning because I want it to be an exact copy. I want it to make sure every bit and byte makes it over from drive one to drive to and it needs to happen automatically and it needs to uh, be guaranteed. So here's the five things and that, that you need to look for. So I don't care what software you decide on. I'm going to give you some specific recommendations for both Mac and P in a second, but there you need to find software that meets all five of these things. First, number one, it should run in the background, the software on the computer continuously, constantly monitoring drive one for any files that need to be cloned over to drive two. It just always needs to be watching and copying files over there as it happens. 
Number two, the files are cloned in the same folder structure on drive two as they are in drive one, which is pretty, what I'm trying to get at there mostly is it shouldn't be a backup file that you end up with. You're going to end up with fully usable folders and your images in the same folders on drive two. Drive two looks exactly the same as drive one. That's what it should be. And there's other ways you could do that. There's something called mirroring that can get you there, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Number three, all of the images are directly accessible without any special software to restore them. So kind of emphasizing again the point, I'm recommending against backup software. I don't think you should use that to get your images from drive one to drive two. Number four, only new or updated files are cloned from drive one to drive two. Meaning the software is smart enough to know that files that already are on drive two that match what is on drive one, they haven't changed, don't have to be cloned again. The computer's not gonna have to say, well, I'm gonna copy every single image that's on drive one over to drive two uh, every like you know hour or day, or it, it's smart enough to be like, well, I've already copied these 10,000 images over there. I don't need to do it again, but 10,001 just got added, so I'm gonna copy the 10,001 image over there. Um, and then I'd also recommend as part of this, maybe I should have made it a separate requirement that you can do a one-way sync. So that means that if you deleted a file on drive one, that delete doesn't happen on drive two. Most of the software, if they meet the first few of these requirements that I've gone through, most of them offer this. I, I don't know of any that don't. So I, I would recommend you enable that feature, a one-way sync. Uh, because accidental deletion is a thing. We'll, we'll talk in just a second about that. Number five is the software validates every bit and byte of the image on drive one over to drive two. The key phrases to look for in that, because they might not sit you know, in a clear way, look for something that either says checksum or wording along the lines of something like verified copy. And to me, this is a very critical piece. There's a lot of software that won't provide this. So this is something to make sure you look for. I really want to make sure that we, we talked about corruption being a problem for backup files. Well, the same thing can happen as you copy an image from drive one to drive two. That copy can have problems and you could end up with a corrupted version of the image. And software has a way to be able to check for that. That's, that's what these checksums are, the verified copy it can make sure that the destination, it wrote every bit and byte successfully to that drive. It can validate it at the time of copy. Now that's not to say that you completely eliminate the risk that your image gets corrupted on the drive because the drive can go bad, sectors can die, and you might still kind of lose the image. So it's not, it doesn't mean you won't have any corruption problems, but we're taking risk out. We're reducing the risk that bad things are going to happen to your images. With all of the things I'm talking about, you're reducing all that risk. All right. Both Mac and Windows do come with built-in utilities to meet all of these requirements. Every single one of the requirements can be met with some utilities that come prepackaged on your computer. They're not easy to use. They're not put together into one single solution. So there's work involved and some, a, lot, a lot of technical know-how to make it so that you can use them. But if you know how to use rsync, cron, xcopy, task scheduler, you can totally meet all of these requirements without having to invest in any software. Um, most of you don't know how. And if you do, you don't need me. <laughs> so, so we're going to leave it there. We're going to ignore that as being the solution. 
Also want to, again, go back to that requirement for quickly. Deleting your images. This is like next to your drive completely failing. Accidental deletion is probably the number two thing that causes photographers to lose their images. And so if you have it set up that it syncs everything from drive one to drive two, including deletes, your risk that you might accidentally delete your files from drive one and like you intended to, you thought you were deleting some other images and it turned out you still had some images you wanted selected. Uh, that happens a lot. Or, uh, you know, mistakes just get made. You accidentally delete the images. You may not even realize it for weeks until you need those images again and or weeks or months. It could be a while before you realize you deleted those. And if those deletes are replicated to drive two, they, so that they delete the images off of drive two, well, they're gone on both drives and we want to protect against it. Yes, it means you probably are going to use more storage on drive two than on drive one. You're going to run out of space faster on drive two because a lot of the times the reason we're deleting images is we don't need them. We've maybe culled them and decided these are not great images and why keep them around and if you don't have the delete synced, that means you have to like double delete. You got, you got to go over onto drive two yourself and delete it, which I don't recommend. So yeah, you may end up with more images on drive two than drive one and use more drive space. But isn't that better than like having a problem where accidentally deleting them, you lose them. So to me, that's how you should set it up. You'll have to decide for yourself what your risk tolerance is. How risky do you want to make it? Is it more important to you that you conserve that disk space and uh, you're not worried about double deletes? Then, okay, then you, you can synchronize those deletes as well. All right, specific software. Um, I don't, there's not a great way to search for these kinds of things. It's not like this is a, a hardware product where Amazon and Adorama and B&H and places are going to have searches. In fact, I, I doubt you're going to see much of this kind of software on any of those platforms. Um, I've done a lot of testing of this over the years. I needed to solve this problem for myself and I looked into a lot of software and taken a lot of recommendations from uh, people I trust in the industry that have faced similar problems. There's two pieces I will recommend very highly. Doesn't mean there aren't other solutions that can totally work. That's why I gave you the requirements on what I'd look for. Because if you're comfortable with another package that meets all those requirements, then go for it. But here's the two that I'm going to recommend. For Windows, I recommend, it's hard to say, <laughs> it's, uh, you'd probably want to pronounce it backup to professional, but backup is spelled B V instead of a B V C K U P. And I'll have a link in the show notes. So you don't have to remember any of this. It's about 50 bucks to license it. And I, but it's, it works so well. I have run this for years now. I am a paying customer. I've been a paying customer since 2018. Neither of these products are affiliates or sponsors or any of that. It's just software. I have personally tested and am comfortable recommending as being really good solutions to this problem. The problem of cloning your images from drive one to drive two. So that's backup to professional for windows for Mac. I've looked into these now and, and there's a caveat here. I'm not a current paying customer of this product because I primarily edit my images on windows today. I use Mac a ton mobile. I have MacBook pros and I, I am doing stuff with MacBooks constantly. 
And um, just to prepare for this episode, I went and spent some time testing a lot of utilities that provided. They said they provided all of the features that I had. And um, I landed on the one that I liked the best from the testing I've done here in 2021. Uh, the one I like the best is called Chronosync, and it's also $50 for the Mac. does a beautiful job. It's really great. Neither of these solutions are really simple to figure out. Um, I mean, I didn't find them hard, but I'm an IT guy. I've been in the. I've, I've been doing development for forever, and so I think I'm not a good judge for that. <laughs> and it's. I. I think it would be confusing. The my wife says constantly, "What's a normal person supposed to do?" And I'm confident if I put my wife in front of that software and said, "Here's what you need to configure," she'd struggle. Not because she's not great, because she is. She's a very bright woman that's uh, incredible. But this isn't her thing. She doesn't care about this stuff. And she it would be daunting for her to go and figure this out. So um, you need to consider that as you're considering doing these kinds of things. Um, I'm intending to create some how-to guides for both of these pieces of software. I don't have them available yet. But I'll let you know when that happens so that uh, I can provide a little bit of help of what I mean to how to how to set these things up. But those are the two that I would consider. If it doesn't make sense to you, if you go check, both of them have trials, so you can go get the trial version, see if you can figure it out how to set this up. If it doesn't make sense to you of how to do it, and the backup software is easier for you to figure out, then do that, because the most important thing is you implement 321 backup, for sure. But I think this makes it like the most transparent, easiest kind of setup. If you do this, if you use one of those two tools and you clone your 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 Im, your images from one drive from drive one to drive two, then uh, if one of them fails, you just buy a new one, put it in its place, and it, it will resync everything. Plus, um, you know, if, one, if drive one fails and that's the one you've been using for Lightroom, now you can just point to drive two in Lightroom, and you're back up and running like instantly. There's no restore. There's no have to buy a new drive. It's, it's a beautiful thing. You should replace the drive. You don't want to be in a, a situation where you don't have the two drives always. So as fast as possible, you need to replace that drive. But I think this is a really, really good solution for the two portion. What about the cloud backup? And I mentioned already that I think we should use backup software here. So kind of the exact opposite of what it is I just recommended for that local cloning. Um, I'm going to make an argument that you really should use cloud backup software and not cloud file syncing software. Um, and, and there's, I'm not, it's not because the cloud file syncing software is bad. And by that, you're going to recognize this really quick when I say what those are. These are the major players like, you know, Drobo, Dropbox, or not Drobo, Dropbox, <laughs> Dropbox and Box and OneDrive and Amazon Drive and Google Drive. These are file syncing kinds of solutions. It Just like I talked about where you're syncing from drive one to drive two locally, this does the same thing syncing from a drive on your computer to the cloud. And they can be awesome tools, really, really fun. But I think there's two problems with it. And we'll, we'll get to that in just one second. But there's two things uh, that really need to make sure uh, we cover first. And that's, um, I think you should use the cloud backup software from drive two. Here's why I think that. Uh, first, accidental deletion again. 
you if you accidentally delete images from drive one, there's the chance, there's the risk, because remember, in your head, you're thinking, I work off of drive one. That's what I do all my stuff on. So if you accidentally delete things, you're going to accidentally delete them from drive one. And if drive one is your source for backing up to the cloud, you could accidentally delete things there too. Now, you might be able to say in the, uh, the cloud backup, like, don't replicate deletes. That's okay. Then I could see that. But I still recommend that you set up things so that the cloud backup that you're going to make goes from drive two. The other reason, um, if you follow my advice on the software that clones from drive one to drive two, that then you're going to have a perfect copy for, on drive two. And, um, and it's going to be a verified copy. So you know it's right and you don't have to worry about like the activities that you're taking on drive one kind of impacting what's happening on with your cloud backup. Cause, and that's going to be way slower than this sync from drive to drive. So I it really, I recommend that you set up your cloud backup, whichever tool you decide to use. Cause if you use uh, file syncing software, then go ahead. I mean, you can, if, you, if box or Dropbox, any of those solutions are something you're going to stick with, then fine. Okay. Just make sure you do it from drive two. That's my my recommendation is to do it from drive two, no matter how you do it. All right. My argument for not using cloud file syncing software. I There are two problems with it that just make me hesitant to recommend it as a, a good solution for most of you listening. Um, number one, they tend to offer very limited storage sizes. We've talked about how much storage space we have, like those desktop ones, you could get desktop external drives, you could get all the way up to 16 terabytes of storage. I guarantee you can't find something that will do backup of 16 terabytes on file syncing solutions. It won't work. Um, number two, even if you can pay for more storage, it's really, really expensive. And for that reason, for those two reasons, I really don't think you should use file syncing software to back up to the cloud. Most of these providers, uh, like Dropbox and Box and Google Drive and all of them, they will offer a very small amount of storage for free. They'll have a free tier. It's somewhere around 100 gigabytes usually. And some of you listening, a lot of you listening probably have memory cards that are bigger than that. Obviously, that's not going to work. That's not going to be sufficiently large for this to go. Um, most of them tend to max out at about one terabyte at reasonable pricing levels. Also, just not big enough. Like it's just it's just not enough. One terabyte is not enough room for even hobbyist photographers who are going to do this for very long. You could start out on this kind of a solution, and uh, when you outgrow it, switch. But it's just uh, it's not something I can recommend. Um. I was surprised looking into these. I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't speaking because I, I, the last I looked at it was a few years ago. And they, I, I couldn't find at the time anyone that offered anything more than one terabyte. I remember doing that a couple of years ago. And I was kind of surprised. A few of them seemed to offer both um, up to five terabytes uh, were some options. And some even offered something they called unlimited <laughs> so let's let's talk through it just to be complete because I'm telling you the reason not to pick them is limited storage size yet some of them offer up to five terabytes or even unlimited storage so let, let's go through it um, five terabytes is offered by some of these solutions it surprised me they were there but they're designed to be shared storage 
that three to five employees at a small business would use. And it's priced accordingly. It's priced at a small business tier, three to five people, where for a small business, it wouldn't be outrageous and the benefits can be so big having all of your uh, files synchronized between all your computers that it could be worth it. But for a photographer as the one portion of a three, two, one backup, it's expensive. It's really, really expensive. So that, that number two problem again. Um, and then there's the unlimited <laughs> unlimited. Remember when we went through cell phone plans and you had unlimited data, it's never unlimited. There's always caveats. There's the fine prints that says, you know, something around the lines of after you, after you've used this much storage, we slow you down to a crawl so much that it's not really usable. <laughs> that it's never unlimited. It can't be. That's just not something that's going to work for, for these kinds of uh, providers. They just can't. I tried to go and search on a couple of the providers that said they offered an unlimited plan to see what does that actually mean? What is the practical stopping point? And I couldn't find anything in a, in a quick search. So I don't know exactly what it means, but I'm really confident it's too expensive still. And it's just not going to be a reasonable thing to do it. So I just, I'm recommending against these, not because of the functionality, not because it wouldn't be great, because it, it would be. This, imagine if you can use one of these tools, you now could have all of your photos on all of your computers all of the time. That's awesome. That is a huge benefit to be able to have that. There's no thinking about it. There's no like, I have to go and do a restore from the cloud. They're just there all the time across all of your computers. I mean, that's a, a tremendous benefit. Some of them even offer versioning. So even if you need to go roll back a version, you can go up into the cloud and say, I need this previous version. That's really cool capabilities. In fact, that's so cool. That's exactly what Adobe's trying to do with their newer version of Lightroom. Uh, Lightroom CC, Lightroom Desktop, however you want to say it. The all new Lightroom, not Lightroom Classic. Um, that That's exactly the thing they're trying to do. It's through their cloud storage, but you don't even manage the storage on your own drive, really. You import the photos and it just goes into your computer and is immediately synced into the cloud and makes it down to any other computer where you have licensed it to run. And it's exactly this same setup. All your all of your images on all of your computers all of the time. That's a really, really cool. It's just horribly expensive. Horribly expensive. And uh, including Adobe's solution, you can't, there's a limit on how much storage you can buy. You can, you can pay and pay a lot to have increased storage, but there's a limit as to how much you can buy. So I, I don't recommend it. Um, I also want to make a couple of other notes about these, these file, cloud file syncing solutions. The first is I am aware Amazon Prime members get for free unlimited backups of their photos to Amazon Drive. And that it, it, they are, it's like file syncing software to the cloud. And even a lot of raw file types are, are supported. Lots of different raw types don't, are, are just fine. As of here in May, 2021, it's actually still unlimited too. You can back up anything all the time. They, they don't say that there's any real restrictions on this. I still don't recommend using this because the software that does this file syncing 
seems horribly buggy. Uh, it is, it is always having problems. I've been using this for a few years now because I, I back up my like exported images to it so that I have access to those images anywhere. I can go on my phone and use the Amazon drive app on my phone and get to the images that are images I've, I've exported out of Lightroom. I get the, like the final version. And, um, and I like that, but it's always having problems. It's, it's syncing problems. It's crashing problems. It's not reliable enough for me to be able to recommend that. So even though, um, technically unlimited, at least for now, <laughs> uh, I, the, the software is too buggy. The other thing I wanted to mention here was be super careful if you intend to use these kinds of tools for backing up your Lightroom Classic catalog. Uh, it's possible. I've been told that Adobe engineers have been doing this for a long time. Um, it, that That's how they were making sure their catalogs were replicated from their various computers over the years. And you can make it work. It, it's totally possible to make it functional. But you have to be super careful. You have to be so, so careful. And it's very, very easy for you to cause a problem where it will corrupt your catalog if you're storing your catalog in something like Dropbox. So um, be careful. If you don't know what you need to do, um, then don't do it. Because <laughs> you can really get into a lot of trouble really fast with that. So if cloud uh, file syncing software is not the solution, what is it's cloud backup software, like I've, I've already said a couple of times, I have seven requirements and there are going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of overlap between them, but I have seven requirements for cloud backup um, to, for, for you to pick the right tool. Cause there's lots of them available. Um, a whole bunch of them can work great, but here's the seven requirements. Number one, same thing. It runs in the background on the, con the computer continuously looking for files that need to be backed up. Number two, those files are backed up in the same folder structure in the cloud as they were on drive two, which I mean, it's probably obvious. That's probably not something I need to directly state, but I'm trying to be complete. Number three, only new or updated files are backed up again, same thing. And you probably want it to be one way backup again. So if by some horrible chance <laughs> you deleted the images from drive two as well, then they won't be deleted in the cloud. Uh, you just, that gives you another layer of like, okay, I, I know I have my images, even if I accidentally delete them. Number four, the cloud provider offers multiple versions of the files. This is an advantage. I already talked about this with the using like Time Machine or Windows Backup locally between Drive 1 and Drive 2. A, a massive advantage to that software is versioning. It can It can keep track of multiple versions of your images. And therefore, this is a way you can protect against a risk that we haven't talked about yet called ransomware, where your images can get encrypted so you don't have access to them anymore. And if you have the cloud backup set up so that it will do multiple versions of the files, you can restore back from the uh, the encrypted version to the non-encrypted version and, and you're good. So it's a that's definitely a requirement I would have. Number and and by the way, you might have to pay for that. Um, a lot of them will say with like they'll have one tier of pricing where you either have no versioning capabilities or you have like very limited time frame, you have thirty days of versions of files, and then it will delete the the versions that are older than thirty days. So um, it's worth paying for extra just to be able to get that protection against ransomware. Number five, the software offers a way to limit how much upload bandwidth is used. This is a really good way to get your entire house mad at you. 
if you buy software and you're going to back it to the cloud and that software has no way to be able to say, I only want you to use this amount of upload speed. Um, if you have, if it just uses all of it, it's going to take a long time to do these things. And every time it does, it's going to make the internet experience at your house like horrible. People are going to think the internet's down because you're using all of this bandwidth uploading it. So it needs to have some way to do it. The, the term to look for is something like throttling and making it sure that you can limit how much bandwidth upload speed is going to be used with, uh, with the software. Number six, the software can back up internal and external drives. And you need to specifically look for that because there's a lot of the software that will back up your computer and won't let you back up an external drive. They can tell the difference and they won't back up an external drive. So you've got to make sure that that is there. Number seven, the cloud provider offers restoration of individual files, usually via like a, a web browser. You can go to their website and navigate to like a specific file you want or a folder you want and restore just that individual file or folder. And you also, they also should provide a way that if you want, you can have them restore the images to a drive that you're, you're going to pay for this, of course, but they're going to restore the images to a drive and mail it to you, which might be like at, at some point, uh, restoring over your internet connection terabytes of information is going to take too long. And you need, if you, if you are to the point where you need your stuff, then they should offer a service, a, a paid for service separately, you know, separate from your licensing of the software to, uh, to send you a drive with all your stuff on it. Okay. Those are my seven requirements. Before I share my recommendation on which provider they should use, I want to note here your expectations that you should have, <laughs> how long this is going to take. Now, this is highly dependent on the upload speeds of your internet connection, and we all have different upload speeds. Also dependent on like uh, data caps, you might have only a certain amount of data that you can do in a month. Again, another important reason that you have to throttle how much you're going to upload a month because you might have to work within data caps. Um, in general, outside of those restrictions, you should expect um, that things are going to take about a month per terabyte of backup for this to work. Now, some of you will faster than that. Some of you might go a little slower than that, but uh, in general, about one month for every terabyte of data you need to back up. So I'm trying to say, don't be too alarmed if you have four terabytes of photos that you need to back up to the cloud and it's taking you three months and it's still not done. That's kind of normal. That's that's probably okay. Um, and you need to, to be patient as you're doing this process. Um, don't be too alarmed until like it's been, if it's been two, two months for every terabyte, then you might need So like if it's been eight months and you still don't have your four terabyte drive backed up, that might be the point where you need to start calling some people and call the backup provider first. Like, Hey, what's going on? Is this thing working? And, and see, uh, see how it goes, see what they can help you with. And you might need to call your internet provider too and ask them about it. See if they are uh, making your uploads go slower and, and work through it. But it's going to take a while. That's, that's why I'm trying to, to tell you um, that it's there. And you might think, well, it won't for me because my internet's really fast. I, I never have any kind of internet problems. It's super fast. Okay, for download speeds, that might be true, but... I can almost guarantee most of you listening 
the download speed is much, much faster than the upload speed. And that's what you're going to use here with cloud backup software. You're uploading your images from your computer to the cloud. And that's part of the connection from your internet provider is going to be way slower. It just usually around like a 10th the the speed, like it's really a lot slower. So even if you're super happy with how fast the internet works for you, in watching movies online, like, you know, your Netflix and, and Hulu or whatever services you're, you're using, your internet browsing, all of that's download speed. And it, everyone offers a lot of really fast download speed and very few offer really fast upload speed. All right. For those of you who want a specific recommendation here, <clears throat> um, the one I'm going to recommend is the, the backup provider I've already mentioned in the show, and that's Backblaze. There's others. Um, I've seen a lot of them come and go over the years. And with what I just talked about, like it could take months for your cloud backup to work. Do you really want to be switching providers if one like suddenly shuts down? Um, Backblaze is not perfect. I, I'm not claiming that. I've, I've heard from listeners who've had struggles with it, both with the software working and with their customer support. So no company is perfect. Everyone's going to have bad experiences with companies at some point or another. But there's the the service has been super reliable. I have been a paying customer since 2014, and I um, I've had a couple of times where I've needed to do restores, and it's gone well. Uh, it the price is really reasonable too. Um, it's seventy two dollars a year, um, and it it's, the base price is sixty dollars a year. But I'm going to recommend photographers add on the one year version history, which is $2 a month. And that, that I talked about this already. Like you can have multiple versions of your files stored and you, they will keep one year's worth of version history for you when you add that $2 a month. And I think that's completely reasonable and worth it to do. Not only so that you protect yourself against like the ransomware thing, but also because with Backblaze, and I think others would do this too, if you disconnect your external drive and Backblaze doesn't see the drive, by default, the without paying that $2 a month, you get 30 days of having that drive not connected, and then they will delete the backup from that drive. If you were gone or offline or unable to connect your drive for more than 30 days, your whole backup would be gone. It's not clear I, I wish they made that a bit more clear about it because it, I've, this is one of the things photographers have told me they've had trouble with. But if you just pay that $2 a month extra, you'll get protection so that you can go as long as a year without having that drive plugged in and your backup is right there. It's still available. So uh, totally worth it to pay that extra cost. If you don't want to do Backblaze, that's fine. Go just find a solution. Do something for that one portion of the 321 backup. Try to find something that fits all of my requirements and make sure you do that. Um, if you use the link I have in the show notes, it is a, it's not an affiliate link. It's a friends sharing link. <laughs> Backblaze gives me a free month and you a free month of the service if you use my link. So it does benefit me if you do. So I'd, I'd love it if you considered going, if you're going to get Backblaze, go sign up through my link. Um, okay. That is only, that is the cost though for external drives. That is the cost in the scenario we've talked about with storage wall number one. That is not what it is for storage wall number two. And we'll get to that 
in just a moment. So it won't cover your NAS RAID drive, and that's going to be our solution to storage number two, storage wall number two. But um, the other thing to consider as you're shopping for providers, I already said I've seen a lot of them come and go over the years. There used to be three or four vendors I could recommend here in the past, and I can't anymore because most of them have completely gone away from backup of on a consumer. They like offer commercial backups or maybe computer backups, but they don't offer um, the kind of backup that we're needing here. So um, I actually talked with, uh, at the time, I don't think he's there anymore, but at the time he was the director of marketing at Backblaze. Back in 2017, I did a podcast episode with him. You go check that out. So you can kind of hear his arguments about why it is Backblaze is going to be around for a while and why I they've been great. I've been a customer since 2014. It's still working great for me. And I think it. I, I don't hesitate in recommending them as a, a good solution here. Uh, but if you have something else you prefer, then go for it. Just make sure you have that that done. Second storage wall. Let's, let's get into that. We're almost at the end here. You're almost done. <laughs> Second storage wall. This is the wall you reach when you have so many photos that you can no longer store them on a single external drive. And it's a really big problem at that point. <laughs> now we talked about the, we there's desktop drives. We there was the Seagate version of the desktop drive I recommended earlier that went all the way up to 16 terabytes. And that's how you can kick the can down the road. You can um, you can solve the second storage wall, um, sort of. You can temporarily solve it, kick the can down the road, uh, by buying a bigger external drive. You can also make the investment in a NAS, DAS, RAID kind of system. And I'll, I'll tell you what that means in a moment. But let's talk about the first way to deal with this. Uh, let's say you bought two gig, two terabyte drives. You bought two of them. You set it up just like I talked about. Everything's beautiful. You have three, two, one implemented. And now you know that you filled up your two terabyte drives. Well, what are you going to do? Well, you could upgrade to four terabyte drives and have that be a very viable solution to this problem. It, it's a very inexpensive kind of solution. It's going to take some time. You're going to have to spend some time working through this, but you uh, it's totally doable. And I'm going to give you some 12 steps of how you walk through this because I think that's another problem is people are like, well, fine, I can buy another drive, but how do I get my 321 going again with this new drive? How do I make that happen? And so, so let's walk through how to do that and how you can do this over and over. Like you can go from two to four to eight to 10 to 12 to see, you can make those steps along the way. And if you're starting now and you everything fit on two, by the time you're going to need 16, there'll probably be bigger drives available. Like there's, they're not sitting still on this and, uh, and you, you may be able to buy yourself a lot of time. I have so far, I've never, I have not gone to a NASDAQ raid kind of solution in, again, we'll talk about that in a second. If you don't know what that is. Um, but because I've been able to buy bigger drives and I have everything going, it's, it's working very, very well for me. Two reasons I recommend that you get, um, I also recommend you, you work on this. Like, even if you haven't filled them up, you, you really need to try to plan for replacing these drives every three years. And so they, they're ticking time bombs. They're manufactured right now 
uh, designed and manufactured to sort of have about a three-year life expectancy. The warranties are usually around three years. Some of them are less than that, but uh, that's why the warranty period is that that kind of time frame because they know the drives aren't likely to hold up after three years uh, with like you know your normal average use. Photographers tend to put even more use on these drives, so they may last even less time than that, which is why. But still, it's it's advisable that you note somewhere whether you write on the drive itself or somehow you 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 note when you got it. My current uh, mechanism for tracking this is when I name the drive, I put the uh, month and year that I bought the drive in the name so that I can see it every single day when I'm using the drives that I bought this drive, you know, in 2018, uh, I need to replace it this year. I need to plan to replace it this year. And so, so I, I think that's a really good thing to do. Um, and you might wonder too, well, like, okay, but replace the drives. Why, why replace them and not just like add more? I could buy a two terabyte drive and when I fill it up, I get another two terabyte drive. And when I fill it up, I get another and, and then I'll just like switch the drives. Totally doable <laughs> for some people. If you're super disciplined <laughs> It doesn't work for me. Um, I want to have access to all my images all the time without having to swap drives around to find those images. And even if you're good at taking notes on what images they're there, it's just hard to be able to find your images. And they fail for three years. You should replace them. Um, I just don't recommend that kind of a solution. Plus, here's the biggest reason. It's really hard to do a 3-2-1 backup of four two-terabyte drives. How are you going to do that? You don't to connect eight drives to your computer all the time. That that doesn't work. So you'd be faced more with like two two for most of your backup, or two two and a really old cloud backup. Because I don't ever plug. I I disconnect the two two terabyte drives that I filled up. I added two new tera, two terabyte drives. I'm syncing those, but then syncing to the cloud, it, it's a mess. It doesn't work very well in having your 3-2-1 backup in place if you're trying to do multiple external drives for your storage. I really recommend you get like a single drive big enough for all your photos and then a second one to, to play a role in your 3-2-1 backup. Hopefully that makes sense. Here's how you would work through it, right? Number one, um, so let's say you're upgrading from two terabyte drive to four terabyte. Let's just say that that's it. So that I can refer to those sizes as we're working through it. So here's the 12 step process. This is documented in the show notes. So you don't have to remember it all, but just to run through it. Number one, you disable your cloud backup software. You kind of, you need to turn it off while you're doing this upgrade of the drives. Number two, you got to do the same to the local, uh, syncing software. So if if you're following my advice, you disable Backblaze and you disable either Backup Pro or uh, Cloud uh, ChronoSync. Number three, disconnect the two terabyte drive two. And it's maybe a little confusing to track through this, but that the two terabyte drive two, you're going to disconnect that and leave the two terabyte drive one, you know, the one that you've been actually working from, you're going to connect that. Then you're going to connect the new four terabyte drive one, and you're going to clone the images from 
drive one, the two terabyte drive one to the four terabyte drive one. And if you're already lost, <laughs> I think the, the steps written down in the show notes will really help. But you can either manually copy between the two or you could maybe even better use that local file cloning software that has the verified copy capability to do this as like a one-time thing. You can sort of set up jobs inside of the software, most of them anyway, and then be able to just like create a new job that's going to run once to sync the software between the two or sync the images between the two and then, you know, kill the job inside the the local file cloning software. Um, Number six, disconnect both of those two terabytes or those both drive ones, the two terabyte drive one and the four terabyte drive one. Disconnect both of them because you just finished making a copy from the one to the other. Then you're going to connect the two terabyte drive two and the four terabyte drive two and do the same thing. You're going to clone all of the images between those two drives. So now you should have a full copy of drive one and drive two, but on on bigger drives. Then you disconnect all of the two terabyte drives, make sure they're all gone, and you connect up the four terabyte drive one and the four terabyte drive two, and you change, you update the job on the local file cloning software to now sync between those two drives and uh, turn on your cloud backup software and make sure that it's backing up from the new drive two, and you're done. It's all fixed. You've upgraded the drives. Now, I, I run through that like, oh yeah, this, 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 and you're done. This could take some time, <laughs> This, especially if you've got, uh, you know, you're at bigger drives. If you're at like eight terabytes, this is going to take a little while to copy those files between the two drives. There's other ways to be able to do this, but I was trying to leverage the software you've already invested in. And some of those other methods can even be faster. They, they can make this go faster, but uh, it's more complicated. And I, this just uses the stuff you already have. So that's how I recommend you get through it. Again, you don't have to have really followed just go over to the show notes if you need to do this go over to the show notes and if it's not making sense you know feel free to drop me a question and I'd, I'd like to be able to help it be a better resource for people by getting feedback on I don't get this I don't understand <laughs> and and how can I word it better so that more people can understand it all right the other solution to that second storage wall is NASDAQ raid um this is hard this is really challenging because it is so expensive. There is just not an inexpensive solution to this. The expenses you've made in buying hard drives and even software to this point are nothing compared to the amount of money it takes to invest in these kinds of solutions. What these are is they're they're a physical device that is big enough that you can plug in multiple drives into the device. Now, this is not a USB kind of connection. This isn't an external hard drive. This is you buy a drive that is, could be intended for going inside a computer, but instead of putting it in a computer, you're going to put it in this device. And you can have, some have two slots for drives, some have four, some have eight or six, eight, there's five. There's lots of different ways and, and they're all priced differently. But the whole idea then is, as after you plug these drives into this device, the device m- makes it look like all of those drives are just one drive to your computer. A single drive, it, it makes them all there. There's also options to make it so that the, the files are kind of um, written to multiple drives at once. When you store an image to this device, it doesn't just go to a single drive inside the device. It gets written to to at least two, sometimes three, or depends on how many you've got, how many drives are in there. And that can help make it so that 
if one of the drives inside the device fails, you're less likely to lose everything or, or lose all of the images that were on that drive. And it, it's really cool. That's so RAID stands for random array of independent disks. You have to remember that, but <laughs> it's been a system that's been around for a very, very long time. It's pretty well proven at this point. It's a really effective way to be able to, to get storage. There can be some performance advantages too. And like I said, the, the local kind of replication that happens inside the device that you don't even have to set up, you don't have to do any syncing. It just happens automatically and they can be really cool devices, really powerful. Uh, if you're a videographer, you're going to need one of these because that you don't get this, the kind of storage you need any other way, really. And um, it, it's really cool. Now, so there's two basic types of these kinds of devices. There's one called a NAS, and that stands for Network Attached Storage. And there's one called a DAS, Direct Attached Storage. They both do exactly the same thing I just described, making multiple drives look like one big drive to your computer. The difference between the two is how they connect to your computer. With NAS, you connect it through a network connection. So Ethernet, you could do Wi-Fi, but I really strongly recommend you don't connect it through Wi-Fi for photo editing. And then uh, with DAS, it's more of a direct connection. That's why the name direct attached storage. And that's connected either through USB or Thunderbolt. And Thunderbolt's a really good option. Okay, so there's those two different things. How is a photographer, especially if you don't know what these are, how are you supposed to choose between the two? There's lots of pros and cons uh, with both of them. Most of the time, you need to choose based on other things that you might be doing with these with these devices. Um, the specific use case of editing your photos, like just that one use case, there's not an obvious choice between the two because NAS, as long as it's wired connection, it can be fast enough that performance for photo editing is really not going to be a problem. Uh, video editing, it, it certainly could be. And, and you might need to have DAS. Anyway, we're not doing video, so I'm not going to cover it. Um, but here's how I'd recommend you make this decision then. There's there's a couple of criteria that can I think can help provide you guidance. Number one, here's choose NAS when you're needing a less expensive solution, when you intend to connect this device to more than one computer. That's a very key thing. If you need this big disk <laughs> to be able to be seen by more than one computer, you need NAS. Uh, another one, if you want to use the storage to back up all of the computers in your house or office, you really need NAS too. And the last one is if you want to share media like photos, maybe movies from this device to all of the computers in your house, then NAS can do that. It's a really cool kind of side benefit from all of this. Now to choose DAS, here's the things that would make you choose DAS. You're only going to connect this to one computer. And that's again, critical. Like if, if there's no chance you're going to need to connect this device to a second computer, then DAS could be a good choice. Number two, Performance is super critical, like if you're going to do video editing. Um, DAS can be about four times faster than NAS. For photo editing, it's probably 
almost not a difference. It it can be a difference. It's it's slightly slower than like a USB 3.0 connection in for most of the cases, and so it can be a bit of a performance thing, just a tiny bit. And so if performance is super important, you're willing to pay like a little bit more for it, and it's only going to be connected to your one computer, then DAS might be your best choice. All right, so very generic so far. I'm trying to keep it as generic possible so you can kind of do your shopping, figure out what to do with it. Now, so but let me give you some qualifications of what to look for in the specific type of device that you're going to buy. Let's start with NAS. This is my personal preference for solving this problem. NAS, I think, makes the most sense for most of you listening. I, I don't think that uh, DAS is the best solution for most photographers. So long as you use a fast wired connection, I'm going to have kind of a uh, recommendation there to make sure you have that. Uh, NAS does really well with having enough performance that is not a, a big, big problem. And then you get all those benefits too of multiple computers uh, are can connect to it and, and all those side benefits that we talked about. Here's the things that you need to look for in a NAS. Uh, number one, it needs to have a one gigabit Ethernet connection. Uh, super important. In order to really make this not be a performance problem, it needs to be one gigabit that you connect with. There are some that offer as much as 10 gigabit connections they're way too expensive. So I, I just, and you don't need that kind of, like there won't be a big difference before photographers between one gig and 10 gigs. So one gigabit is what you should get and make sure that your computer supports it. I'll tell you that in a second. Number two, I'd recommend five or more three and a half inch bays. You really need to have that many bays to adequately protect your images. It's super, super important. Number, let's see, I was, oh, number three, it needs to support RAID levels five and six. So you need to read through the devices and make sure that uh, five and six RAID levels are there. Number four, there's a certain amount of memory, and this is true memory, RAM, like, you know, we talked at this top of the show, it's not drive space. It needs to have at least four gigabytes of memory preferably look for eight, eight gigabytes. That will really help. And number five, this is the only optional thing on the list. Uh, I'd really look for one that has M.2 SSD slots because that can help again with performance. So um, it's good to have the option. You don't have to do it. Like when you're investing in this device, there's a cost for the device that's pretty hefty. And then you have to pay for drives to go inside it, which is pretty hefty. And you might not want to go with the SSD drives right out of the gate because you're just having to spend so much money on this. But um, but then you can add it over time and make things faster. And, and it's, it's good to at least have the option. So I recommend you look for it, but it's not required. If you want to buy a device that doesn't have it, then, then you're going to be okay. If I was buying a NAS today, my specific recommendation would be the Synology Disk Station DS1520+. Plus. It's a five-bay NAS enclosure. Um, that link will be an Adorama affiliate link. If you're going to go buy it, I'd love to have you use that link. $700 just for the device. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, you probably won't spend $700 on multiple versions of the external drives to this point, right? It is a massive jump in cost. Really, really expensive to go there. But 
it, it might be a lot better choice than kicking the can down the road over and over and over. Uh, and if you do video, this is really, really good to be able to solve this problem. Uh, and, and then it become, it can quickly become a problem. Like you can outgrow this in a hurry with video too, but this is a really good way to do it. But I understand why, and this is why I have personally kicked the can down the road multiple times by just upgrading my drives, uh, my individual drives, rather than investing in one of these, because it is a very big investment. When should photographers consider moving here? I'd say when you're around the eight to 10 terabytes of data, um, at that point, you might want to say like, okay, I need to save up for this thing because it's coming and it's coming soon where it's not going to be very reasonable for me to back up or use the external drives as my solution anymore. I'm going to need this, um, you know, raid system to be able to hold my images. And at that point you should think about it. The speed of the connection. Um, you, you need to make sure, uh, one gigabyte and that's often abbreviated as one GBE gigabit ethernet. Uh, that needs to be on the device, but it also needs to be on your computer. And most computers today have one gigabit, so you most likely have it. But if you don't know, there's an easy way to add a one gigabit connector, at least for current computers that have a USB-C port. Um, there's a device I'll put a link to in the show notes, Adorama affiliate link again. It's called the J5 Create JCE133G USB-C to gigabit ethernet adapter. So then that way, if you don't know what's in your computer already, if you don't know it's one gigabit, uh, you can try to look it up and see if you can find the same product and, and figure it out or just buy this device. Uh, it's about 30 bucks. So it's not horribly expensive. And you'll know that connected through that device, you have one gigabit for hard drives that need. So, so far we've bought just the device. <laughs> we haven't bought any drives, so you can't actually do anything with it yet for hard drives that need to go inside it. Here's the recommendation here in 2021 for what to look for in drives that are going to it. There's five things that you should do. Number one, drives made for NAS. They need to say that they were made for NAS. Number two, and this might be tough to find as you're looking for drives, the drive technology to be either CMR, stands for conventional magnetic recording, or PMR, perpendicular magnetic recording. It's kind of the same thing, just two different terms for the same thing. The thing that it can't be, that you do not want, is SHR, which is shingled magnetic recording. You don't want that. You don't want that for a NAS system. There was a big to-do about this a little bit ago where one of the drive manufacturers was using SHR drives in their NAS offering, and it caused a lot of problems, and they really got their hands slapped by the industry. <laughs> and so, so you want to make sure it doesn't say SHR. If it doesn't say anything, it's probably okay. If it says SHR, don't buy it. That's not a drive for you, for NAS, or for, uh, yeah, for, NAS, for any of these. Uh, 7,200 RPM, again, that same speed. You, you want that. It, it's not the end of the world if it's a little slower, but just like I recommend in an external drive, you should look for drives that are 7,200 RPM here. Um, I would not populate, I would buy drives that are at least six terabytes in size for this. So it's not, this is not a solution you should look for if your needs are only two gigabytes, two terabytes or four terabytes, or even like eh, eight terabytes, you're, you're kind of getting close, but I would buy six terabyte drives to put inside of this and I would buy all of them the same size. Now, some of these systems are designed today to accept drives of different sizes. I wouldn't do that. 
It limits your options on how you can set it up and they're not as reliable. Those options are not as reliable. I wouldn't trust my photos to a system where I'd use different sizes of drives inside of these RAID systems. I, I, I would go with the tried and true technology to do that. Um, so as long as you meet those five requirements, buy whatever drive is the cheapest. Again, brand doesn't matter. Look for one of the major brands I had, I've already mentioned, and buy those. There's also a really good hard drive buying guide from Backblaze that uh, that's worth checking out if you're interested in a lot more detail, especially around that SHR thing. Um, if I was buying drives today, I would buy five of the Seagate Iron Wolf 6 terabyte NAS internal drive. It's a CMR drive uh, with 70. It meets all the requirements. And uh, I would get that over at Anorama. It's about $140 per drive out. That means we're going to spend like $700 on drives. Ugh. So $700 for the drives, $700 for the Synology device. 1400 bucks just to get something working. Ooh, that's a lot of money to put out for this. And it's, it's challenging. And we haven't even talked about like cloud backup is impacted by this too. We'll, we'll get there. It's hard. That is a, a massive amount of money to spend on your drive, your photo storage. And I understand kicking the can down the road at some point though, if you continue into photography for a long time um, your storage needs are probably going to get to the point where this is going to be needed. You're going to have to go and, and do this. Um, that's NAS. What about DAS? What about what what device, if you want the faster kind of connection, and it's only beginning connected to one computer, which one do I recommend? Now, the household name among creatives, the one that did a really, really good job marketing their product to creatives that you've probably heard of is Drobo. Um, they are a DAS device. They do offer a DAS as well, but DAS is their bread and butter. This is their space. That's this is where they came into the industry. They've only offered NAS because other people were wondering if they if they could do one. Um, so DAS is their their biggest thing. I personally can't recommend Drobo. Now I'm not saying if you're using Drobo, you should stop. I'm not saying that Drobo is a, an awful choice and you absolutely should never use it. It can be, it's a, it's a decent product. It does a good job with things most of the time. I have just heard from, it's been relayed to me and I'm going back on my own kind of thing. Like statistically, you can't say based on anecdotal experiences, anything about a brand. It's true. And that's why I'm trying to caveat it with, it's probably going to be fine for you if you choose it. But when there's other options that photographers I trust who have really dove into this um, tell me that there's better options for them, that this worked better for them, I'm going to opt for that instead of this. And, and there's, this is not just drive failure where we know they're going to fail. Um, these devices should last longer. They, they should work better. This, there's not the moving pieces that are in here. And there's not a reason to expect that this device is going to fail uh, prematurely or, or at all. And so I, I'm going to slightly discourage Drobo <laughs> again, if you're using it, go for it. And if, if that's the one that you like, um, go for it, especially if there's someone that can help you. Like if there's another photographer using Drobo and they're going to be able to help you with this, that is way more important than like a slight preference I might have to another solution. But my preference would be 
promise Pegasus, the, the promise Pegasus line. Um, I would choose today the promise technology Pegasus 32 R6. That's going to be a 24 terabytes Thunderbolt three connection. Super, super fast. This is going to be a very, very fast device. It comes with the drives pre-installed and the Adorama affiliate link is in the show notes. It is $2,200, (laughs) a lot of money, almost twice as much as the NAS solution that I'm recommending, but you get about four times the performance. So that's the trade-off. It's more expensive, almost double, but you get four times the performance. So if that's critical to you, you're only going to connect to one computer. That's where I would go. RAID configuration, that's another choice. With either DAS or NAS, you're going to have the option to configure the system a certain way. Now, the the promise drive will come pre-configured in a certain scenario, but you can change it. You can alter it if you want to. And it's really hard to work through all of this because there's so many technical things about it. But Unless you go with Drobo, because Drobo does not offer anything besides their Beyond RAID system. That's it. You you get a Drobo, you put it in the drives, it's going to initialize it and just go. You don't get a choice. And that's one of the things I dislike about it. I don't like, I, I prefer other kinds of configurations and Drobo just doesn't offer anything else. You... Um, it's super important, though, to understand how to configure this for everything else. All the other devices offer some configuration options. And I want to make a distinction really important, too. Two things you need to, to really understand about these kinds of systems, these uh, these devices, the RAID kind of system. Number one, RAID should never be anything but a single copy of your images in your 321 backup. And there's this massive temptation to consider it to be more than that. You wanna say, well, but there's more than one drive inside of that system and I've set it up with like RAID 5 and that means that my image is on three different disks at the same, or two different disks at the same time. So that's two copies. No, it's not two copies. <laughs> and it limits your risk, yes, that you can, um, you can have a drive fail. If it's RAID 5, you can have a single drive fail and not lose anything but it still should be in the truest sense of 321 it should be considered one copy for your backup the second thing you need to understand is if too many of the drives fail inside of it you lose everything all of it you don't it's not like well but two of the drives are still fine i only lost 3 nope you've lost everything at that point even what was on those two drives is gone you are not going to get it back So um, you've got to be very diligent about replacing these drives. Again, my recommendation is every three years, you need to replace these drives. And because my recommendation is also they need to be the same size, it means you're replacing all of them (laughs) for three years. Oh, it's rough. It's really rough. Now, you could skirt it. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. That's not the the focus of this episode. But it it is a real challenge. Then um, you should go check out Photographer's Guide to RAID. I have a lot of the nitty-gritty details in this. But as far as configuring the RAID, um, I recommend you you need to choose between RAID 5 or RAID 6. And I'll give you some things to consider about how to choose. But what you need to avoid is you don't want to use RAID 0, RAID 1, RAID 10, 
or most of them have like JB, JBOD, just a bunch of disks is what the, that stands for, or some like proprietary format in there. And this is the thing that will allow you to put drives in of different sizes. And I just, I recommend against it as a safety measure. You're, I, in my opinion, you're putting your images at risk because you're using drives that way. Not that it's guaranteed to fail, of course not, but I think there's more risk to your images and I'm just so risk averse. If I'm going to do a big system like this, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to do everything I can to make so that thing protects my images. And uh, those those formats of RAID are for other things. It's not going to help you protect your images. So RAID 5, RAID 6, they've been around for decades. This is not mysterious. We have this down really, really well. But here's the difference between the two. RAID 5, you get more usable storage out of it. So it's less cost. Uh, but the risk is if you lose more than one drive in the RAID, you've lost everything. That scares me personally. So I wouldn't choose RAID 5. I'd choose RAID 6. But you're going to have to decide what your risk tolerance is because it costs more for RAID 6. With RAID 6... You get less usable storage, which means it costs more, and your data, but your data can survive up to two hard drive failures, which is awesome. I love that I have the that kind of thing. So that means like if one drive fails, you can order a drive as soon as it fails, have it shipped, get it in the thing, and and even if another drive fails while you're waiting for that to happen you don't lose everything. And that's what makes me so nervous about RAID 5 because uh, you can lose everything if a second drive fails while you're trying to replace the first one. If you're going to do RAID 5, I recommend that you buy an extra drive when you're buying those drives to put in the system so that when one fails, you immediately have it available to stick in there and, and replace it. Then uh, that would be a, a pretty reasonable way to mitigate that risk of uh, losing everything because more than one drive failed. Okay, so there's kind of my recommendations on this. Um, what about Drobo's, Beyond Raid, Synology's, Synology Hybrid? What about those? It's not that they're guaranteed to fail. It's not that it's like even quantifiable risk more. I can't say it's like, you know, twice as likely you're going to lose your images or anything like that. I just want to lean on the backs of those that have gone before who've designed these systems and run them configured this way with the RAID 5 or 6 for so long, I trust that more. You're going to have to decide for yourself, will the others work? Oh yeah, they're going to work. Are they pretty well proven at this point? They are. These systems have been around long enough that even beyond RAID or Synology Hybrid or whatever proprietary kind of format that's not a standard RAID format, they're going to work. They're going to work well. Um, I just want to take even more risk out of it for me. So you're going to have to decide if, if that's how you want to do it. You can make it much cheaper if you use those systems because then you can have different sizes of disk. It makes it easier for upgrading your disk. You can do it like one at a time. There are some definite advantages to it, and it does not guarantee you're going to lose your images or, or make it even dramatically worse to lose your images. I just would choose RAID 5 or 6 and, and the costs that are associated with it. Okay, we talked about RAID. It, it really needs to be a single copy of your drive. If you're using RAID, don't think of it as more than one copy. In a true 3-2-1 backup then, 
you have to replicate kind of the structure we've talked about for external drives. If you're going to do a three, two, one backup, you need two raid systems, right? <laughs> you need to back up from the one raid to the other raid. Uh, that's the only way you're going to get the two because your image on the one raid does not count as more than one image, more than one copy. Uh, so you have to double the costs. And then when you go to cloud backup, you can't use the normal cloud backup licensing. That's for external drives and internal drives and not RAID systems. So now you have to upgrade. I I'd still recommend Backblaze. They have an offering um, that they call Backblaze B2 Cloud Storage. And it's it's pretty inexpensive as far as this kind of size of cloud storage goes. But it's, uh, it's 0 0.005 cents per gigabyte per month for the storage, which would be about... $120 a month for 24 terabytes of RAID. Like we, the Pegasus system I, I mentioned, that's that would be about $120 a month to back up the whole thing uh, if you filled it. Now, it would be a little less than that, but it's, it's way more than the $72 a year I'm recommending for unlimited external drives and internal drives back up to Backblaze. Uh, and then if you need to restore, there's another cost at one cent per gigabyte that you have to download. So if you had to do a restore event and you had a full 24 terabytes of RAID storage, you had to restore it. It cost you $240 to get the restore. Um, and that's not even sending you a drive necessarily. <laughs> that's, that's to download the data. So it's expensive. All of this is horribly expensive. It gets more complicated. It's a challenge. It's a real, real challenge for photographers and why I, I know most of you, it's going to make most sense to just use the external drives for as long as you can before it, it, you have to go over to this. If for me, I'm getting close to needing the, I just had to go to the two 10 terabyte drives for my, in my storage. And I'm really thinking about like, I, I really need to save up for this now. I need to go here. Um, I can't last much longer. I, I can't kick the can down the road much further to do this. I could go with the 16 terabyte versions, but I'm, I'm at this place where I need to consider it. But even if I do, there's just no way I can do a true three, two, one backup. I can't afford two raid systems. That's not going to happen. I can barely get one in. Um, and so I'm going to just have to accept the risk. I'm going to be super prepared with extra drives so that if one fails, I'm on it and I replace it. So I don't lose that. And then I'm, I'm going to have to just pay for the cloud backup and that's going to have to be my system. I'm not going to go with a three, two, one backup. Um, and I'll, I'll do rate five, six. That gives me a little better assurance and I will, I'll probably do rate six actually. And, and then to the cloud and that's going to be it, but I won't have a three, two, one backup. I'll have a three, one, one solution or two, two, one, one, I guess. <laughs> and, um, and it's going to be a problem. It's it's going to be not a three, two, one backup, but it's, it's the best I can afford. So that's where my situation is. I would guess a bunch of you are the same way. I just wanted to outline kind of what it is to actually have a full three, two, one backup with a raid system. It means you need another raid. Uh, all right. So that's finally it for this episode. It may be the record for the longest episode ever recorded. <laughs> uh, I hope it was helpful. I hope the show notes are helpful and it can be a guide going forward in, in being able to do this. Um, you can find my work over at jaceharmonphotos.com or uh, masterphotographypodcast.com is the other show I do. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'll have those links in the show notes too. And um, I, you can suggest topics for the show, uh, 
phototacopodcast at gmail.com is the best way to make that go, but, uh, or send that suggestion. Or you can tag me on Instagram. You can send questions that way. Um, there's comments on the website too. So if you have comments on this episode, you can put it right there where the show notes are. There's comments at the bottom and you can put comments in and let me know. And if there's suggestions you have on things that you're just not sure what I meant, what does that mean? That those are the kinds of things I'd really like to try to address. I really want to make this be a guide that everyone can understand and be able to use to help them with their storage and photography. Uh, I thank you so much for listening and getting through my spring allergies. <laughs> if you're, uh, it was, it was rough. I, I have some editing work to do before I could publish this because there were lots of breaks <laughs> for, for coughing and sneezing. So, uh, thank you everyone so much for listening and we'll see you again next month. Views expressed on this program by independent hosted callers do not necessarily reflect the views of Master Photography Podcast, LLC, or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links with permission reserved. Olay!